Is uh, anybody in here running any Docker images in the mumble room? Anybody use Docker? Nope. Mm. 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 Well, I think Docker is getting pretty popular. Yeah. Um, and I'm worried that we are creating ourselves a bit of a long-term problem with Docker. That could give us a bit of a bad name, and the BSD guys are going to give us a hard time about it. We've got to get our act together when it comes to Docker containers. So a study was just done recently showing that over 30% of official Docker images in the Docker Hub contain high-priority security vulnerabilities. Honestly, what did you expect? So, what I mean, really, what did you expect? I mean, that is the fundamental trade-off. Either we have... Everything is linked, so you have the binary, and that links to all these libraries, and those libraries are dynamically updated, which, let's face it, in practice, never works. Well, it, well I it wouldn't say ne- never. Okay, fine. I mean, it, it, it almost works. never works. Well, I don't know. I think that's a little harsh. It's not harsh. Eventually, it will cause a problem. Eventually, it usually causes a problem, but if you think about it, that is, that problem happens the minority of the time because your system that, works the majority okay, of the time. That, that's true. Okay, so... <laughs> so in the grand scheme of things, I agree with you. However, yeah. from the perspective, well, from the perspective comes of like, if you need that one piece of software yeah. and that one piece of software yeah. doesn't work, and I have been bitten by this so many times that I, I admit that I am I am like I'm overly sensitive to the issue. Yeah. But well, and you're working at it from an enterprise angle too, where it's much more of an issue. Right, because these companies, like I said, they release co- they release software for one well, version of Linux. So here's the issue, though. I mean, yeah, I guess it's not that surprising, but we're talking things like these Docker containers are vulnerable to shell shock, Heartbleed, Poodle, etc. Uh, and then images published by Docker users not explicitly verified by any authority. Like if you just go to like the general images in the Docker hub, it goes up to 40% of the images having serious security vulnerabilities, over 40%. And uh, a lot of them are old, mercurial. Uh, when you look at the official images, is the number one source of uh, vulnerabilities. But, of course, when you look at community images, ones that are not from the official hub, then the vulnerabilities primarily come from Bash, Apt, mm-hmm. OpenSSL, uh, file, bin utils, mercurial, RPM, like, you know, the basic stuff, SQL, sudo, uh, HTTP, wget, like these things are just not getting patched well, and they're getting these weird vulnerabilities. So now I think you're being too harsh. Really? <laughs> well, here's Look why. at this. Look at so this. So here's oh. why. It, okay, but the numbers, Noah, are, are <laughs> disgraceful. Uh, I mean, we're talking, we're talking really well-known vulnerabilities that haven't been taken care of. We're talking, we're talking like you put so, this stuff into production, unless you have taken serious mitigation steps, 40% of these images created by the community have critical vulnerabilities. And right. by the way, dude, if you drop from critical down to medium vulnerabilities and you include everything rated as medium, then 70% of the images have vulnerabilities. Yeah. But so let's start with this. You start with a technology that is relatively new, right? Docker has not been around a terribly long time. I mean, it's still, they, I mean, the, the, people, granted, people were putting it into production before Docker even said you should be putting <laughs> it into production because Hey-o. they were so excited. But the reality is it was just last year, I, I think it was at Self, when the guy came out and said, all right, we've actually, fully, we actually now support you to put this into production. So yeah. it's not like it's been out that long to yeah. begin with. Second of all, they're doing something relatively groundbreaking from the standpoint that we don't really have any sort of cross-platform container that can, you know... Cross-distro, cross... Yeah, that's true. So, okay, so then you have that working for you. Then add to that the fact that the people that are doing this, the people that are smart enough and the people that have the resources to do this have other things to do. So they might be able to create this Docker container, but the ability to sit there and maintain it and update it constantly... Yeah, they got better things to do. Right. Well, so Corky, you think this is just fundamentally uh, the flaw with having a Docker hub? Well, I don't think we really need it. The whole point of having a hub is to replace what official package repositories. If we just did what the Rocket project is really about, just taking the container 
and then sticking it in package repos such as the Ubuntu repos or the Arch repos and have people install and it uh, use Docker containers from official package repositories. Would this be a big issue? That's an interesting approach. You know, I was going to argue with you. You're right. I mean, I guess you could take the rocket approach and that, that, and do it at the district level. I wanted to back up and say, is doesn't this actually justify the need of a hub? Because uh, here's a different approach. What if – okay, so uh, what these guys are doing, this, uh, this guy at BannyOps that wrote up the post, uh, is they're doing an analysis of the code. They're scanning it. They're checking out these images. They're running a vulnerability assessments against them, and they're creating like Nessus reports or whatever the hell they're using. Somebody okay. at the Docker company – could just as easily do this. Docker could automate this process. Docker could automate the flagging of images that have known vulnerabilities. It could even rate them with scores. They could say this one is, has high vulnerabilities. Docker yeah. could do all of this, and they could add that as a value add to the Docker Hub. Because I, I think there is a place in the market for the Docker Hub. You know, we were talking about um, uh, uh, this new uh, that new Office suite that's going to be server-side Google Docs competitor, and they're bringing it to Linux for the first time. And their, op- their option for distribution when they come to Linux for the first time is a Docker image, because they can wrap their heads around a centralized repository that distributes these Docker containers down to end users for server dis- for server software for server software deployment. Uh, it, it does make some sense have one spot to go for all Linux distros. I don't know if I want it to be Docker. I don't know if I want it to be owned by a company, but I think it's interesting to give the market a chance to play this out because you could see a value add by doing that automated vulnerability assessment, automated checking, rating things. You know, Docker could staff that up, almost treat it like App Store reviews without all the dickishness of it, and make sure people know. Right now, though, it almost feels like Docker is being negligent in this matter because these are on their platform, because these are being offered up to their end users. Is it not their responsibility to make sure – I guess, how far do you take it? Because if you say it's Docker's responsibility to make sure that these things don't have vulnerabilities, then isn't it also Docker's responsibility to make sure they don't have backdoors or rootkits or something like that? So, I mean, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is it's Docker's responsibility if they're going to have a central hub uh, to give an interface that will allow people to to communicate – uh, what they like and what they don't like. So take torrents for example, right? Uh, there is a there is a there is a great system in place, and it's not mandated by you know by any user group. It's not mandated by by any committee. But the reality is, when you go on to the pirate bay, I can tell you the best torrent to download from the worst <laughs> torrent to download <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that that's all being rated on, voted on. And if there was some that had that had some some snarky snark that was connected to that torrent, I would know about that because it would be in the comments. Or if there's yeah. some sort of yeah. software, so. Is, is that really that hard to implement? That's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. I guess that actually works in even like at the AUR level. Like I know uh, – yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I yeah, can go and read right. the comments and usually know what's up. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And I guess that would sort of be a good middle ground for now. And, and the other thing is from their perspective, all they have to do is provide the infrastructure. Everything else, it will be provided by the users. Yeah. Yeah, it, right now it's a bit of a it's a bit of a clown show, and they need to get it cleaned up um, because it's all happening really fast around them, and people aren't going to take it seriously if it has these kinds of problems. I yeah. think, and I think you know there's going to be competitors out there. They're coming up. I mean, Canonicals launching their own format. You got obviously the Rocket stuff coming out of the CoreOS project. You got the the FreeBSD guys have had jails and had this fixed stuff figured out for a really really long time already. Mm. Plus, they can back it up with a great file system that also provides a lot of advantages in conjunction right. with and, jails. Right, and we should just get all that done. And- just a couple months here. Uh, yeah, you should all be done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. I mean, like, so July, is that about when it came out? Like, What's officially? That? Officially, they, when Docker? They, yeah, when they said it was ready for uh, when production. When the latest I think Red Hat Enterprise 7 shipped. Okay, that, so that would have been, yeah, so June, July, somewhere around that. That, was, that was, and I'm using air quotes here, 1.0. Yeah. But 1.0 shipped, it shouldn't have been a 1.0. But I think, 
I think they had that new partnership with Red Hat. Yeah. That, you know, Red Hat didn't want to ship a non one thing in Red Hat Enterprise. Right. And so I think they called it 1.0. Yeah. Even though they didn't even have, like, signing and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. it is new. Yeah. The thing is, the reason – but here's what – Here's where – and then we can get off this because probably people don't care too much. But I think here's where we would give them a little too much slack. It's new, mm-hmm. but the technology they're using, they didn't invent, right? That's they're true. using Do- kernel the, the, features. Yeah. like right. They're, and containerization has been around right. for a while. Yeah. What they invented is the layer that sits on top that does the GitHub like checkout, check-in, the, mm-hmm. the container formats. They came – like they, the, the specs, they came up with all of that stuff. And that's super value-added. That's obviously made a huge difference and cannot be downplayed. But at the same time, that's the layer they're working at. I mean, obviously, they're working with those other layers, too, because, you know, they have code at that layer. They're, they're, they have interest there. Right. But what I'm trying to say is, like, this is the area they should be focusing on. This is where their energy should be going. So, like, there is only so much so much room I'm willing to give them because right. it's not like they're creating the entire containerization from whole cloth and they have that entire burden. Yeah. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You're right. I agree. That's all I have to say about that. That's it. <clears throat> not the trip set or anything. Also, also why, why can I just say... Why are people complaining about the pack, um, the uh, containers having vulnerabilities when they can just update them for vulnerable software in the containers themselves? Yeah, here's the issue, and I was just reading I was just reading a blog post about this. Uh, <clears throat> God, this you know, and this is part of what I think gets me a little pissy about this issue. And I don't. Have you ever have you ever worked with a developer? Yes. Who just really hates the sysadmin? Like the sysadmin oh, yeah. is the guy that slows me That's down. Most developers, he's actually. always worried about yeah. security permissions. He's mm-hmm. always got a firewall rule that I have to go talk to him about. The guy wants to do updates and it breaks my program. Like they just hate the sysadmin, right? Yeah. In fairness, a lot of sysadmins hate the developers. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And um, <clears throat> so one of these guys, one of these developers, is brogging about why Docker is so great, and it's not because it you know makes it, it takes care of you know all the different distros and it makes a single point of of dis- deploying software through the hub and all. No, no. The reason why this guy likes Docker Mm -hmm. is because now the sysadmin doesn't screw his stuff up with silly updates and permissions. He just gives the silly sysadmin – he didn't say silly – just gives the silly sysadmin one file and it's a two-step process to get his creation running up on the server. And then he doesn't, in his words, mess it up anymore. And the whole idea is – and the reason why I'm bringing this up is – There is a mentality where people are creating Docker images and they are creating these things thinking this is a static world that will never change. The world around it is going to be updated. It's going to be chaotic. Libraries are going to change. Kernels are going to change, whatever. But this container, everything in this world, this Ubuntu uh, 1404 little world in here or 1204 little world in here will never, ever change. And you don't want to know something, Chris? I like that. I know, but I'm that's, a system administrator, and I like but that. That's the problem, though. That's because then the things, those processes, maybe say like, what? What do you? What? For example, mm-hmm. let's say you put Zimbra inside a container. Wouldn't that be? You know, just get Zimbra yep. in a container and keep it nice and, and, and contained on a, on a CentOS box. <laughs> the problem is, what if in that container? Zimbra is using a version of IMAP that gets to be a year old or mm-hmm. so that has another Heartbleed-like vulnerability in it. Right. Well, then you have to go update that container to get rid of that vulnerability. But now you are doing something that was against the original design of the people that distributed that container. So your only option at that point is to essentially – and I might have this wrong, but yeah. I believe – Tweak the container. Well, you, you, yeah, you essentially – not this is the right wrong word, but you essentially like fork the container. You yeah. copy it and yeah. now begin running your own version of right. it you maintain separately right. than the one that comes from Docker Hub. Right. So there are a couple things things. One is I would rather have an insecure program than no program. 
So if my choices are to run something but insecurely, are you sure? Or not like, run. are you sure? Like in the in like you know like something that could be really bad, like that you know where people can read their memory on your server and stuff like that. I'm I I go, I go back to 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 a to a client I had, and this was not all that terribly long ago. In fact, one of the first things I had I, we had set up uh, them up with a System seventy six computer, and the the a version of Ubuntu that had shipped with the System seventy six was newer than the last LTS. But the Intel drivers to get the Wi-Fi to work had to have that that newer kernel. So we ran into this weird issue where the software software manufacturer would not give us, they didn't have a version that would run on the newest version of Ubuntu, right. but he didn't have Wi-Fi. So the solution was, as crappy as it sounds, he bought a brand new laptop and he had to have a USB dongle for a couple yeah. months until yeah. they really... And so if my... Cho- and I, I think if that, was, if that was a wider scale, if we were going out to a server, something like that, if my choices are <clears throat> there's some sort of security vulnerability, and granted Heartbleed is a bit of an extreme example, that would probably require us to sit down and talk about if using that software then is really still the best course of action. But if if it's anything slightly smaller than that, I would rather have the software work at all, rather than even if it has some security flaws, than not have access to that well, solution. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I can, I can follow that line of thought for especially a class of software and use cases, like mm-hmm. um, word processor or uh, anything that doesn't have, anything that doesn't, here's where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. Anything that could potentially reveal my user information or other users of the system's information. So, like, say Jupyter Broadcasting had its own mail server, mm-hmm. right? And we were running it. Very likely, if we did that, we would be running it on a container on a DigitalOcean droplet. Right. And let's say let's – go back to the Zimbra thing. Let's say we got a compromise. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I wouldn't care so much about my information leaking out because I'd probably have a unique password for that server. And so they'd just yeah. compromise just that account. Getting my email would suck. But I do have the responsibility of everybody else that logs yeah, in, right? Yeah. And so if you know, Rikai's logging in and Alan's <coughs> logging in and you're logging into it and Angela's logging everybody's logging into this thing. If that thing starts to have a year old – see, the problem is, too, is the longer these vulnerabilities hang around, things like shell shock and Heartbleed, mm-hmm. those are so well known and there's such low-hanging fruit. And uh, some of them, like Heartbleed, can be diagnosed remotely mm-hmm. that they just get, they just get written into, into IP scanner scripts yeah. and then you know, it becomes – Really, almost no effort for somebody to start banging on your box mm-hmm. and reading, you know, whatever. I mean, I, it's like because not... it's so easy for them to do it, and because other people are impacted by it, by right. it, I feel like I have the responsibility to keep it up to date, even if I don't care about my own personal data. Right. And, so. I'm not saying that security isn't important, right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a methodology for updating. I'm saying that the priority level should be get the software to work, then let's make it secure. And th- so that means that the security then falls upon whoever is releasing that Docker container. Right it shouldn't, now, that yeah. shouldn't, well, it shouldn't necessarily rely on you. So when something like Heartbleed comes out and all this data is leaked, mm-hmm. we, I think we should just treat Docker containers just like we would treat a piece of software. Thunderbird had a, had a, had a security file. You're saying the you vendor should update it. it. Right. Well, I'm just yeah. saying you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to say, well, Thunderbird has a security vulnerability. I better log in there and, and open the well, code. So and, shouldn't and the way it work is like, so say, let's go back to Zimbra again because like, we can both wrap our brain around this. Shouldn't the Zimbra guys, let's say they're distributing their software by Docker containers. Shouldn't they test it in a Docker container on their network, mm-hmm. certify that the latest security updates work, and then publish that version of the Docker Hub and then have that distributed down to all of the people that are subscribed to that Docker container? Yeah. Shouldn't it basically be like a software vendor update? Because if they can test it in a container and verify it works and push those changes up to the Docker Hub and then everybody else is in a container, it's not like there's random library vulnerabilities or, or uh, randomness or anything like that. They can just overwrite the same files. Like... It seems like the solution here is for the vendor to patch, but then vendors, in order to do that, are going to expect some money, 
Like you want us to update your our images, then you're going to have to pay us for a support contract. Yeah. There's no there's no way vendors are going to update an Ubuntu 14.04 container for five years for free, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably maybe true. they would. I don't know. Maybe they would just maybe they would because that's how people are getting their software. I don't know, but it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting world we're moving into. A software over the over the next couple of years on Linux is going to change a lot. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that invites you to insert your own Monday morning joke. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Hey, Monday, how did I get Noah. here? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. So we're doing this show on a Monday because Noah's here. He's flying out this evening. When are you flying out? Tonight? Uh, hopefully tomorrow. But oh, tomorrow yeah. morning or whatever. Yeah. We wanted well, to record today. Yeah. We so say tomorrow we gave morning, room. but really, that involves leaving here at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Yikes. Well, so that's we're going to get you now before we have to worry about that. Coming up on today's show, we're going to follow up on our Fedora 22 review in just a little bit. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about GNOME 3.18, the upcoming version of GNOME, and also GNOME 3.16's victory lap. As of Fedora 22. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm being a little insignary. Uh, also, we're going to talk about uh, the new Google Cardboard, how it could work for Linux. Dell's perhaps huge embrace of Ubuntu. This is a big deal. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and then also, we have a little surprise coming up in the feedback section of the show, Noah. It's a packed show. So, like, somehow, even though you and I were just on air less than 24 hours ago doing the Linux Action Show. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about Linux. How is there more Linux to talk <laughs> we, about? We literally, it's literally been less than 24 hours since we did last. Yeah. Does that blow your mind yeah. a little bit? Yeah, and <laughs> it's been like less than 12 hours since last actually got published. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Talk about a content factory. Uh, hey, so let's get into the catch up. There's some interesting stories that have actually managed to develop since we put together Linux Action Show, even though it's only been a couple of hours. Uh-huh. Uh, so I want to bring in the mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hello. 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 I was like, is anybody there? That, yeah. was, that yeah. seemed like yeah, 30 it was, seconds. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a really long delay there. I was like, wow, okay. We lost them all. Uh, so Google I.O. was last Thursday, and it was the biggest I.O. in the history of the world, which isn't that actually hard of a record to set when you think about there's only been so many I.O.s and Google just keeps getting bigger. But it was a monster. It was like a four-hour keynote, and I am excited pretty much about one thing. I mean, I'm excited about a few things that came out, but hear more of my, hear more of my thoughts on Coda Radio. But for us Linux users, I think there's some potential here. I think we need to get on board with this. You familiar with Google Cardboard? I am, yeah. Their, uh, their VR mm-hmm. uh, cardboard that they gave out at last year's um, Google I.O. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I've heard this described a couple of ways. Uh, some people say this is Google flailing, saying they can't come up with any ideas in the VR market, and so they're just dropping this on the public and saying, here, figure it out. I am not such a pessimist. So they updated their two point. They, this is a Google Cardboard VR 2.0, and it supports up to six inch screens now, including internet phones. If you're a masochist, and it is completely published as an open spec. There's already websites that are selling an entire kit for like twenty dollars or whatever, uh-huh. and you basically get a fully usable VR environment. And it comes with little glasses that it comes preset in there that are in there, and you just put your smartphone in there. And you have legitimate virtual reality uh, for uh, $30. And there's already apps out there to do this. Um, There's already apps in the Play Store to take advantage of it. And there's nothing that says you couldn't hook it up to a Linux box and create. This could be the avenue for the community to create the beginnings of their own open source response to the Oculus Rift. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's neat about that is if that – so imagine this. Oculus wants to take this the the quote unquote high road with yeah. uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with uh, who's it? my Microsoft uh, Microsoft do they make do they make small things well they make that uh, the um, that challenger to, to Linux 
I, um, Microsoft. It's that sounds like a Viagra competitor to me. Windows. They make Windows. You've, have you ever used it? Yeah, man. It costs a lot of money. I it put costs those a lot in my of money, house. Crashes was, a lot and stuff, but and, and they break. You know, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But they have. Uh, but it has tiles, so that's oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they. Uh, so they're going to take that road. Imagine this. Imagine. Imagine when. Imagine when this takes off, like the Raspberry Pi does, and everyone that wants to play this is with what I'm this, thinking. everyone wants to play with it. Goes, yeah. well, I could get that thing, but yeah. I'm locked into the games that they tell me I can yeah. play with the operating system they tell me I can right. play with, and and the SDK that they're going to tell me when it's going right. to release. And then there's this, and it's like I think too, it's almost a bigger competitor to Samsung. Samsung Gear VR is essentially this: you put a smartphone in a Gear VR. But Corky, do, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it was in a GoGo, in a GoGo. Do you think that uh, maybe we're just getting too excited that Google Cardboard is kind of a crappy product? Yeah, mainly the cardboard bit because I I got the last version for Christmas and it was and by um, the end of February it kind of had fallen apart. So uh, would it would it make you feel better that there is several different companies that right now that are working on 3D printed versions of Google Cardboard so it's a a much sturdier case you can print it out at home or buy it it comes with the lenses you can get it in different colors there's a lot of people that are working on different kinds of moldings for the Google Cardboard too it doesn't actually have to be cardboard it's just the nice thing about cardboard is you can make it yourself and it's super sturdy. cheap it's it's sturdy too and it's super it's a great cheap. thing about corrugation mm-hmm. Yeah, but not all phones work with it either, because some require. There's one feature that requires a compass, because this is like this trigger on the side. Yeah, and not all phones have a compass. Yeah, there is definitely going to be limitations there. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I but mean, I, I kind of look at that as like saying, well, not all HDMI not monitors, HDMI not all monitors, keyboards, not are, are going to work with uh, are going to work with the Raspberry Pi. I also look at this as sort of a Model T. That is yeah, available to yeah. the community to, to tinker with, yeah, like not exactly. like a, not like a full on competitor. Like honestly, uh, we need to start somewhere. Is kind yep. of what my philosophy about it is. And when you get that price point down, so and this is the thing that was great about the pie, and that's this is what's great about this thing, is I cannot afford to spend five or six or seven hundred dollars on a computer for a project mm-hmm. that may or may not work. But I can spend the I can spend the uh, the money a couple uh, thirty forty dollars on a piece of cardboard. To uh, to put my phone in to play with it, and if it doesn't work, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with you there, uh, and uh, I I look forward to seeing where it goes. Hopefully, there's something that comes out of it and it doesn't just fizzle away. I don't think it will, but uh, I'd like to see the open source community embrace it. There could be, I mean, just think about the potential windowing environments, all kinds of things could be really cool. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Hey, Noah, I know that uh, you and I have talked about Dell before. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt wasn't a huge fan of Dell. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not a huge fan. I I uh, I, I talk about Dell kind of like I talk about uh, cars and things like that. Like I feel like Dell's like a pretty good choice. It's not always going to blow me away, but it's going to get me a yeah. pretty good value for the price and come with a warranty. So full disclosure, um, as you know, I'm an, I, I, I we own an IT company and we are partnered with Dell. So um, uh, my I'm probably a little biased because I've been we've had a very very good experience with Dell and part of that experience probably comes from the fact that Dell really values their commercial market which is kind of funny because when Dell started they started yeah. really valuing their consumer market yeah. and somehow they kind of made that switch but from a business perspective the nice thing about Dell is as a Dell partner when I want parts they just they ship them to yeah. me and to supply them to a client yeah, I got to say from, so my my experience with Dell has always been pretty solid on the business side mm-hmm. a little um a little adversarial, like when doing large server purchases and things like that, and them mm-hmm. screwing me a few times on things I didn't really need or selling me like an yeah. entire series of bad tape drives, an entire is, series of bad perk controllers. Which was the entire reason for the partner program, because now you don't deal with those people, you deal with me. Yeah. 
and I can come onto your site and yeah. I can look and then and I just go into a portal and order that stuff. Yeah, and but you know, and but my prefer my preference there though is. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to deal with people like you. Yeah, oh, I prefer sure, sure. like I actually prefer like the IX approach. Yeah, um, yep. and that's sort of when I realized where I have the issues with Dell. But if you remove that layer of Dell, mm-hmm. I like I like things like their service tag setup. I like that you know they have a really good database and mm-hmm. you get really to look up all the drivers for your machine and and like they, to be fair, like when we had those tape drives that just failed one after another, they're always very solid about replacing them. Right. Um, and so I, what where I've always met, ran down with issues with Dell has been in the consumer space and sort of how they like. Uh, they kind of keep putting their foot in with Linux, and then they dump it, and they're like, oh, just kidding. In the U.S. Yes. In the U.S., yes, because right. in other parts of the world, that's a very different story. Right. And that's what's been very frustrating for me, is mm-hmm. to see them be committed in other parts of the world and be like, why aren't you committing here? Just stick to it like you do in right. other places. Just stick to it. Yeah. Uh, and so I was really um, happy that when they first launched the spot. parts? Sorry. China, China, for, China, for, China, for example. And um, India. And India. Yeah, I mean, so... They have they have they have wildly pushed. In fact, if you go to like the kiosks in the mall, here we see kiosks in the mall that have uh, Dell computers. If you go over to China or India, you go into those into those malls, you're going to see a lot of Ubuntu kiosks, and they're going to push the computers that that run Ubuntu. And the reason for that is is because the market is so much. I think the market is better there. They believe the market is better there to push those open source solutions than yeah, they can do that thing. in the U.S. Yeah, I guess, uh, and I guess it's probably partially driven by cost and partially, you know, um, other other factors, political maybe. I don't know, uh, but uh, that has always kind of left a bad taste in my mouth when it comes to Dell's approach. The Sputnik program first gave me some hope, and then the Sputnik, and then they then they launched the XPS thirteen Sputnik version, which uh, is a pretty solid machine. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, when I saw this article, uh, this kind of grabbed my attention. Like this seems to be another pretty big step in the right direction for Dell's commitment to uh, Ubuntu. Uh, check this out, Noah. You know, of course, Dell and Canonical have been longtime partners, and they just updated. What was that two hundred dollar Ubuntu Dell laptop? You're yeah, looking I, was, at? I was just I was just pulling that up. It is the um, it is the uh, it's it's a two hundred fifty it's a two hundred forty nine dollar laptop. And in fact, I have a person in my mind of who might be the first recipient of, oh, of yeah, the yeah. Noah Except Linux. For it's, like, co- it's like a week out, but yeah. yeah, right, right, right. So what's going to end up happening is I think I'm going to start her with a. Uh, with uh, with another computer that I have set up, but if it takes off and she's like, you know, I really like this thing, just be nice to have it on some newer hardware. It's the Inspiron fifteen three thousand series. Yeah. It's available for two hundred forty nine dollars and comes pre installed with Ubuntu. Two hundred forty nine dollars. Uh, do you have the specs on it at all? There. Yeah, I have it actually right in front of me. It is a. Um, so it's four uh, four gigabytes of RAM. It's an Intel Celeron, which is ba- basically what you expect. Yeah. Well, so what this is, I know, I know, what, I know. what this is, Chris, it's is a Chromebook. It is, it's a, machine, that's right. But it's, it's yeah. a Chromebook that I can just that comes with Linux. Um, and I think that'll do all right. Uh, 500 gig. It's a spinning. It's a spinning Rust drive, of course. Integrated graphics, and then 1366 by 768. But boy, for 250, you could go. You exactly. could go with Newegg, spend another 80 bucks, and put a decent SSD in there. Right. And the thing is, for the people that are checking their email, for the people that are browsing Facebook, editing, uh, editing some basic Word documents, not doing anything too heavy. This is a great computer form. Yeah. I think that's. I think it's a real sell for Dell. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's so they're playing at the XPS level, which is around a grand, and now they're playing down yeah. at the two hundred and fifty dollar level. I and think the two hundred and fifty dollar level is I'm surprised somebody else like HP so. or somebody else hasn't come out and no say, Let's take kidding. our Chromebook hardware and just put Ubuntu exactly. on there. Exactly. Why not? What's it up what's gonna visit off their Because back? they I think that those companies think that there is a bigger investment to be made on on Google's Chrome OS yeah, than and there I, is on and I honestly th- I honestly suspected too that uh, Intel and Google have been subsidizing the hardware and I believe Intel's pulling back on that now to a degree. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, um <clears throat> Dell tweeted out uh, on the 27th of May. Dell's uh, Dell Cares Pro account at Dell Cares Pro mm-hmm. tweeted out: "Time for a new OS." 
Time for a new OS. Why not try hashtag Ubuntu? Check out our Ubuntu installation guide. This is coming from Dell's official yeah. verified Twitter account mm-hmm. saying, Time for a new OS. Check out Ubuntu from Dell's freaking Twitter account. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to check how many followers. Maybe they don't have any followers, so it doesn't matter. Oh, they have, they have almost uh, they have 10,000 followers. Uh, so that's not bad. You know, there's Dell's global technical support for business customers. Follow us to get valuable information and support your company's IT infrastructure. And they're recommending people try out Ubuntu. And they've, they've included a link to a Dell support article, which is how to install Ubuntu Linux on your Dell PC. Yeah. This is legit. Look at yeah. this article. This is legit. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, there are other things that Dell can push. Uh, our, the chat room is figuring it out. That Dell can sell this computer and say, listen, you don't need an upgrade for an antivirus. It, uh, <laughs> it's not necessary. So that, Yeah, that's not necessarily a perk for Dell, though. Those are, those are upsells that Dell well, makes true. money, that Dell yeah, makes that, money that's, off that's of. That's true, but, the, but Dell also makes money off of selling their computers. And if they can get away with saying, this is a more competitive product than, the, than other offerings from other manufacturers, that puts a leg up. If everyone's <laughs> buying this $259 computer instead of the, uh, instead of the, uh, instead of the $300 uh, yeah. HP that yeah. is at, at Best Buy. Well, if they can deploy Ubuntu... I don't know what their arrangement is with Canonical, but I got to mm-hmm. imagine they're probably not paying for every seat of Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, it, and I don't really know the details of Dell very well. I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe you follow them, but are they now a private company? Yeah, well, so... Is actually, this maybe so what, the result of so all this? That, this is, that's a complicated question. To the best of my understanding, they are owned by a private company, which is owned by, actually, I believe it's Microsoft. The company that, the company that, t- that, the company that gave them the money to buy Dell back... Is backed by Microsoft or investors of Microsoft. I got an idea. So, something when in doubt, lines. you know, you know what we do. When we in Google. doubt, we Google ask. We, we, can just, we, can, we just ask. Okay, Google, who owns Dell? Let's see what Google. According says. to the Dallas Morning News, Dell Inc., which had grown to one of the biggest computer makers in the world during 25 years as a public company, is now privately held. Michael Dell, the 48-year-old company founder and CEO, owns about three-quarters of the company and his investment ally, Silver Lake Partners, owns Sil- the that's rest. It. That's right. That's it. I remember Lake. Silver Lake. Yep. Okay, Silver okay. Lake. So if you look, Silver Lake is Silver somehow, Lake Partners. Yeah, is yeah. somehow in bed with Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that now. Yeah. I wonder if... Okay, Google. Who is Silver Lake Partners? According to Wikipedia, Silver Lake is an American private equity firm focused on leverage, buyout, and growth capital investments in technology, technology-enabled and related industries. Yeah. Founded in 1999, it says. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That's really, yeah. So, and I, I actually sent an email. My, my Dell rep is very, very much aware of my, of my strong Linux preference, right? And so he knows better. <laughs> he knows better than to ever recommend a product or, or tell me about a product <laughs> that I can't put Linux yeah, on. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I, when this came through, I actually called him and I said, "Hey, you know, how is this going to affect things? Because right now, every Dell I've ever bought, I've been able to throw Linux on and it works right out of the box. Yeah. Is that going to change?" With yeah. the, and he said, "No, it's not." Because you're worried I, about the knows? Microsoft connection. Yeah, and <clears throat> this seems to be an indication maybe you shouldn't be worried. Yeah, well, and here's and here's the thing: I you can't actually trust. <laughs> to be quite honest, I don't actually trust everything he says because he's, he's going to say, "Well, yeah, right." He's, he's going to he's going to sell me the company so he yeah. knows what i want to hear yeah because i made it very clear to him in the past yeah. so i know what he's going to say even before i ask but i wanted to get it on so record here we are and this is why i brought this whole topic up is because here we are on the prefaces of like god what's dell doing are they doing some good stuff here mm-hmm. i mean they're, they're shipping more machines than ever with ubuntu they're tweeting out to their business customers switch to ubuntu they're creating guides on their support site how to switch your dell machine over to ubuntu mm-hmm. but then they're owned by by a well, 
They are they are owned by Michael Dell. Michael Dell got his money yeah. from a finance company, yeah. which is yeah. owned by. So yeah. there are so many steps of removal yeah. from yeah. Microsoft that it, the, the influence may be maybe not there. At the end of the I'm day, I'm excited to see where this is going. I'm yeah. getting excited. Yeah, are you getting excited about it? Uh, well, I'm getting excited because I've been excited for a little while because. As a, as a Dell partner, that's that's what we sell. That's what we give to yeah. customers. So I need to be able to go into those clients and say, well, you bought your computer with Windows. I want to put Linux on it. And I've never had a problem doing that. And I don't ever want to have a problem doing that. Right. Um, but the thing that is exciting about this $249 laptop is I am the kind of person that if I see somebody that is not using Linux... I would like to get them to use Linux. And to do that, oftentimes that means they're you not... You just buy them a machine. Well, right. I mean, so, so sometimes, <laughs> sometimes what that means, I was trying to think of a more graceful way to say it, but the reality is, is a lot of times if I come to your house and, and you you have everything set up, you're not just going to let me erase your computer yeah. and put something else on it. No. But you will. Yeah. You will. If I'm like, here, play with this new toy, yeah. you'd give it a shot. Especially if it's nicer. And then once you get it hooked, and I just dealt with this, I just dealt with this before I came out here. There was a guy that I had, we, he, had he actually bought a Lenovo Yoga based off of uh, on my recommendation based yeah. off what Angela was doing yeah. and the way I got him to switch was I, I didn't give him a laptop but I gave him a hard drive with, yeah. with Linux on it and put it in his existing laptop and he just didn't want to go back yeah. um, and that, then he bought hardware and, and yep. Windows is gone yeah. but so this $249 laptop is because there's a limit to how much I can do that right because yeah. I have a finite budget but $249 laptop brand new that's a that's with kind a warranty. Of a game I mean, yeah, the right. warranty might cost a little more, and maybe they'll let you customize and put an SSD in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rotten Corpse, you have information about the Silver Lake uh, connection there? Yeah, the, the reason why there was a connection to Microsoft is because Silver Lake owned, inside of a consortium, they owned par, um, 70% of Skype. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. So when they sold to Skype, then they become part of the. Like, they, like it wasn't completely like there was actually some kind of stuff with like the CEOs of Silver Lake are some kind of are connected as well. But uh, it was it all started with Skype in two thousand. I see. Thank you for the information. And Corky, you think maybe we're getting too excited? Maybe there's a much more practical reason for this. Um, I think um, I haven't checked recently, but Dell has traditionally had a banner saying Dell recommends Windows Eight for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. that oh, must yeah. have been an advertising deal. And if that's come to an end, and they no no longer contractually obliged to recommend windows right they might be taking advantage with this could you imagine maybe yeah because you're right they probably had a they have they might have even had a they might have had a marketing deal that was so lucrative and so important to dell that it might have been something like you need to position your company as supporting windows like your entire mm-hmm. company needs to position and then dell's wiggling these ubuntu machines out and then if that deal expires they're no longer i mean who knows yeah maybe but the reality is the, and I mean, Indiegogo is checking their site. Says the banners are gone. I don't. I don't take too much stock in that because the reality is, Dell doesn't exist to advocate for Linux or open source. Dell is has one goal, and that no, is no. to make money. Oh, for sure. Well, but so what I'm, where I'm going with that is <clears throat> this idea that if Dell wants, if if, if Dell wants to sell uh, computers, they're going to sell with whatever with whatever they think the market wants. And so if Microsoft says they want to recommend Windows 8, so be it. But if the people that are looking to buy Ubuntu, I don't think that's going to cut into their sales, whether yeah. that banner's there or not, because the people that want to buy right. an Ubuntu laptop will just not no, care I what think, that recommended. I think what I'm with. saying, and maybe Corky's implying too, is that uh, th- that marketing contract, we're assuming, mm-hmm. 
would prevent them from outwardly positioning themselves as supporting Ubuntu, like tweeting it and creating guides and things like that. Right. I, mean, I don't. I don't. But there's. But, but that's there's kind of what I'm getting money. at. Is well, yeah. Huh. I mean, Microsoft. Microsoft. Here's what. Well, well, here's here's the difference between a million dollar contract and a ten million dollar contract. Position your entire company. Here's a ten million dollar contract. Right. I'm well, down, okay. I'm so that. where's the money coming from to position themselves to support Ubuntu? Selling more machines. As that contract expires, they're no longer getting that money. They just want to sell more machines. Why not market your Ubuntu machines? Something you haven't heavily marketed before. Also, if I was them, I'd be hedging my bets. So that, so that's my that's my question. Why is it that you think that that uh, that they're going to sell more machines by saying we support it? But I, I like Corky's I, theory. Corky, you have a good theory, and I'm totally on board with it. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to understand. I, it oh, just, Corky, Corky, what's your th- why? Why would Dell be doing this right now? You think it's a negotiation tactic? Well, I well I hope it's a positive thing, but then this is Dell, so. Maybe they're just trying to force Microsoft to up their bid uh, with renewing this advertising bid. I, I, the reason why I give that stock right. is because I think some of the reasons why they've flirted with the Ubuntu market in the past and then pulled out is they were negotiating with Microsoft. Uh, yeah, that, that could be. I guess what I'm getting at is I don't see – I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's going to affect their their, their Ubuntu market uh, to a certain extent anyway if they – if they remove all those banners and say we support Ubuntu or they don't do that because I think the people that are buying an Ubuntu laptop are buying it for two reasons. Either one, they know the right. advantages of the operating system that. or they want a cheap computer. Right. Well, so then then the banner being gone and that 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 uh, that deal expiring probably won't change their dynamic much. Unless now they're promoting it more outwardly like through Twitter and on support calls and things like that that they weren't doing before. We can hope. We can hope. We can hope. Well, I think what we should do is a little market research. Yeah. Uh, Next time you call Dell, you ought to ask him about Ubuntu and see what they say. Sure. Okay. Well, my rep, like you said, before he, he no, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your rep's gonna. I mean, somebody. he's a little different because he'll look up and before he even gets on the phone with me, and he'll say, "Well, this is the latest machine we have that runs Linux, and uh, you're, you'll be happy to know that we had a client that bought uh, a couple hundred of these particular Latitude series, and they all worked with Linux flawlessly." And all right, boys, you know, all of a sudden I'm just starting like notifications like crazy on my phone today. Like now, oh, yeah. Spotify's noti- notifying me about tracks added to the radio stations I've listened yeah. to. Like, why do I yeah, care about because that? Because you're popular. I guess Spotify so. Wants to I guess so. Spotify you know, what I need to do? to do. I need to zen out. I need to go to my. I need to go to my comfort zone. My, my sweet spot. My place of absolute education and focus and learning. That's right, my friends. I call it the man cave where I bring up linuxacademy.com and I begin to learn. And you can too by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, sponsor of the Unplugged program. Perfect sponsor. I know I, you got to check out Linux Academy. Uh, have you been I have, there? I, yeah. I, yeah, I have a membership, uh, whatever it is, a yeah. subscription. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to, Linux, uh, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get the uh, Linux Unplugged 33% discount and then go check out their features. Uh, it's a really great service uh, created by people that are truly passionate about Linux and open source and they do a great job. Uh, they have self-paced courses. You can get um, all the content. You, uh, you can download it offline and like take it at your own pace too, which is great for commuters if you want to read the stuff. And They have uh, over 1,500 video courses for you to take. They have scenario-based labs, so you get a real hands-on like uh, experience. Seven plus Linux distributions and the courseware will automatically adjust to those distros mm-hmm. and the virtual machines adjust to those distros. I love that. Have you seen some of the new stuff they've rolled out recently? So I went to they when 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 Rel released when Rel released Rel seven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, usually I pay my you know whatever it is eight hundred dollars thousand dollars to go out for two days and get a little refresher course yeah. and then they t- tell me all the things that are new and then I go take the cert. Uh, I did all that on Linux Academy this year because Linux Academy has – they actually have a course yes. for – I already have – there's there's two courses. There's a course of teach me about Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Right. And then there's a – I understand Red Hat Enterprise Linux. I just – I've been supporting six. I want to support seven. So tell me what are the what are the headlines? Give me the bullet points of what, if, what has changed. 
between six and seven. That is so nice. It is because I don't have the time. No, I know, right? And you know, the thing is, training events, the problem is, even if the training is really condensed, because they do, Red Hat does a fantastic job about getting it real down, but it's still, it's a day, I have to arrive a day ahead of time, I have to rent a hotel, Um, the rest of the day after I'm done with the class is blown because I can't go anywhere. Or you're going to rent a car. car. I am renting a car, I'm paying for meals out, Uh, there's this huge expense and time suck, of going to these things, and now I can do that on my laptop when I want in my skippies at night. I know, and these guys are, fall asleep. And this is the best stuff. This is the best stuff around on how to do this. Yeah. And they've got the you can you know you can get all of the study material. You can bring that with you. They're always keeping the stuff relevant. They just rolled out some new Red Hat stuff. Uh, it's really nice. Uh, and uh, I think you know, and you know what you got to do. You got to think about it. Is they are they're gonna they're starting to roll out uh, public profiles. So like oh, your, really? you can put like your achievement courses and stuff like that on the public profile. To, like I'd be, I'd be embarrassed. I, I, <laughs> here's, really? here's the thing. Like, yeah, but you know what, Pete, the Red Hat stuff. Like if you did nothing but the Red Hat stuff it's yeah. like at least it'd be all hardcore stuff <laughs> yeah. on your thing yeah. well it's, it's one of those things where like i just do things i'm interested in and then i only yeah. aco- i only will look at the, uh, the area the you need yeah exactly. that's nice right. though it that's, is they've for got, me they've got privately. so right yes yeah i know yeah i know you wouldn't want to publicly show that <laughs> yeah. but they've got they've really got like so much great stuff like are, are you going to try out their python courses actually so funny you mentioned that uh, so the uh, not being a developer, but I kind of want to. I'm like you. I kind of want to dabble in mm-hmm. the idea of development because I like to understand these things. Exactly. And so the great thing about that was I will because I, I, my my mind is so ADD. I'm like, oh, I got done with the Red Hat stuff. Well, I'll go start Python. You know what I noticed, Chris? The guy that teaches Red Hat lives, eats, and breathes Red Hat. Like you can you can just tell by the way he yeah. talks. Yeah. The guy knows Red Hat, yep, and yep. like he'll make offhanded comments. Like he'll say, oh, you know that you know this particular thing. Of course, back in version five, this one. Yeah, and yeah. I'm yeah. like, that's a guy that's been around, right? Yeah. <laughs> then I go and take one of their programming courses, and that guy knows like everything there is to know, you know, about what he's done. Like mm-hmm. they are true testaments to their profession, mm-hmm. and it's not just like. They have hired a couple people and said, all right, you're going to sit in this room and we're going to prepare content and then you present it. No, no, no. They took the time to go find industry experts yep. to present this stuff. And then they have, uh, they have uh, you know, like you've seen that where you can customize the course to do, I just want to learn about this specific yes. thing. Nuggets, that's what they call they it. They have the new nuggets and there's a ton of them. In fact, yeah. uh, you can you can go to linuxacademy.com slash nuggets and just do a deep dive. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, a new fe- that's another new feature they've just rolled out. A lot of cool stuff coming to Linux Academy all the time. That's why the membership makes so much sense and I want you to get that 33% discount by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and a big thanks to Linux Academy for rock and support of the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are awesome. All right, let's get into some emails. We haven't done emails on the Unplugged show for a while, Uh-oh. and we got a bunch. So uh, Dario R. writes in with uh, the Ubuntu CC topic. He says, not sure if you guys are going to cover this or not. Oh, really? This one? On Unplugged or last? But I just found this comment on the same site. I really think it's helped understand what's going on. <sighs> All right, so he's talking about the Kubuntu drama. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about this? It's up to you. Does anybody in the mumble room want to talk about the Kubuntu Community Council drama? I mean, you can if you want to. I mean, we, I'm not avoiding the topic. I just uh, – okay, well, here's what I'll say on it. Um, in our feedback thread for Fedora 22, uh, you can – there's uh, there's a comment thread open, and uh, Palasso has the epic comment of all comments, Noah. Um, it, look at this thing here. Uh, he breaks down uh, what is the Ubuntu Community Council, what decision is being made, the redaction to the decision, or I'm sorry, the reaction to the decision. So I have lights shining on my screen. Mm-hmm. And the aftermath, plus closing thoughts, and he breaks down some acronyms too. This is such a solid contribution. Uh, I don't know what more we could contribute than yeah. his comment here. Yeah. And uh, we're, this, there's really been no development. For those of you who are not familiar with what's going on, uh, Jonathan Riddle has been asked to stand down as leader of the Ubuntu community. 
council, I guess. Yeah. Like boot, he actually explains it all in here. Uh, and uh, a lot of people in the project are upset by that. The, uh, the decision remains at a standstill. And um, uh, Plasso, you're in the mumble room right now. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to add to uh, the coverage of it? Uh, you Great seem, write-up, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you seem to be following it very closely. Did you have any, uh, any follow-up to our coverage or any comments you wanted to kind of get on the record? Uh, I don't have anything else to add than what I wrote. Uh, I would like to mention uh, that there were two things, uh, two issues that Jonathan uh, Riddle uh, uh, were asking about on the Ubuntu Community Council. Okay. One yeah. of them was the donations right. uh, that uh, were on the Ubuntu.com website. And it seems that the... Uh, the Ubuntu community members don't know how they have been used and the other that was uh, mentioned was uh, the part of the uh, IP policy of Canonical about the binaries yeah that you know and it's one of those things um, the 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 write-up itself uh, explains a lot of that stuff uh, and goes into it with a little more detail. And we talked about it on last, but the reality is we just, nobody really knows the whole story, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it, it, we, you kind of want to stay away from making, presum- uh, you know, making presumptions. Um, the only information we have is been basically handed Jonathan to us by, side, yeah, really. one, one side of the party. Yeah. Um, so you want to be a little careful on that. Um, but yeah, that's a tough. I don't know if there's a whole lot to add. Yeah, um, and and I think you know. It, so the straw poll, we uh, uh, I think it was uh, somebody, a Corky or somebody, started a straw poll uh, in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit to see do you guys care about this topic? You know, because one of my concerns is, is do we even should we even be talking about this at all? Obviously, it's getting coverage. Uh, it seems to be a popular topic for some people. Yeah, and I feel like it seems like we're not paying attention. If I, I feel like it comes off that we're not paying attention if the number we don't one thing in Linux is being talked about all over the internet, and we're like, we gloss right over it. Yeah. So right now, uh, uh, 58% of the votes say, yes, they do care, and 37% of the votes say they don't care. Uh, not only 71 votes so far, because it hasn't been a very uh, popular thread, but uh, there's a link in the chat room right now. We'll continue to follow it to see if there's been any interesting developments uh, outside of just additional drama, like any maybe statements from the canonical guys. Um, Oh, and also, Plasso, thank you for breaking down the structure of the Ubuntu Community Council. Yeah. That I was good insight today. It uh, was uh, very good to have because it does seem pretty connected to cano- Canonical. Basically, right. it's Mark Shuttleworth and seven people Mark Shuttleworth likes. Yeah. <laughs> well, but hold on because it's not actually from Canonical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. name is not in there. So, so there are currently – so here's here's how it goes. Uh, just for those of you I'm, – I'm, I'm making fun, but the, uh, the Ubuntu Community Council consists of eight people. One of them is Mark Shuttleworth. And seven, seven others are nominated by Mark Shuttleworth and elected by the community for a term of two years. Currently, there are two canonical employees, Michael Hall and Daniel Halbach, and one canonical ex-employee, Laura Kalzinski, uh, the canonical owner himself, Mark Shuttleworth, and four others from the community. One of the roles of the Ubuntu Community Council is to resolve issues of violation of the COC – Community was code, code of conduct, okay, and community disputes with the participation involved members. So uh, it, it does kind of seem like a stack deck a, b- a bit, but I mean, it was there. There were elections. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't have a problem with them saying <clears throat> this is not an official canonical thing, and it's not the official word of canonical. I don't have a problem with that. <clears throat> what I do have a problem is when people want to try and remove it so far as to say canonical has nothing to do with this. I mean, it's not a canonical thing. It's totally separate. That is, come on. First of all, Canonical controls the branding of Ubuntu. Second of all, 
the head of the community or the, a member of the board on the community council is the head of Canonical. So there's definitely a connection yeah, there. Yeah. There's more no, than a passing connection there. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. So David M. writes in with a question about OpenSUSE. He says, uh, hi. I'm just wondering why you don't mention OpenSUSE as an option. I can understand why you don't like Ubuntu and Arch is cool, but it's not for production. I enjoy your shows. I plan on making contribution next payday. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, David. Uh, so uh, he's asking about OpenSUSE as an option. And uh, do you want to take this? Well, one? the reason the reason actually I put that in there was because so he says that Arch doesn't belong in production. And you know what? If you had asked me before I had spent time in the studio, I would have agreed with him. I would have said, listen, I would not put Fedora. I would not put Arch on yeah, yeah. on a production machine yeah, because I, I don't want too. something that, that I, new. Yeah. I want my I want to treat the production machine essentially like I treat my KitchenAid mixer. On the face it of it, be, it actually seems obvious. Yeah. I just want it to be an appliance. Once I get it working, I never want to touch yeah. it again unless the hardware fails right. and then I will do something. Right. In practice, though, in practice the total opposite has proved to be true mm-hmm. numerous numerous times so much so to the point that even though i really wanted to put ubuntu mate on here i don't dare open my mouth be- because because i know basically i know that 3 weeks after i leave some update is going to come in here and even if we try not to update it somehow that stupid updater you know rolls back up and then something somebody clicks oh, on it, yeah. or we have to install something else yeah, so you have to update exactly. the back. something happens That's where something gets updated happens, yeah. and then something breaks and now because it's so far gone mm-hmm. not just one thing breaks like three different yes, things happen yeah. at the exact same time and you yeah. don't know if they're connected yeah. or if they're separate and all of a sudden you've got problems like every time you reboot your sound cards get remapped and right uh, and so, and I've I have argued that perhaps in in media production, because of uh, the underlying stuff we rely on needs to be so current all the time, that Linux by its very nature just is difficult in these kinds of roles. And so maybe being more current is more helpful. Yeah. Uh, so OpenSUSE offers you know tumbleweed and also evergreen releases. So OpenSUSE has potentially that sweet spot, right, where OpenSUSE could fill a role on a machine that needs to be uber current, and it could fill a role on a machine that needs to, that could stay fairly static, like right. say my Bonobo. Yeah. Um, and so, but you don't use OpenSUSE in, in enterprise. You don't use OpenSUSE in your personal stuff. Uh, why has it not really ever been a contender for you? Uh, so there's a couple of things. I, I actually really like the idea of an RPM-based distro that I could use in production because really I'm not going to put uh, I'm not going to put Fedora, or at least <clears throat> that might be changing now. But a year ago or so, I wouldn't have put Fedora into production on 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 a client's machine. Uh, however. Uh, we tried OpenSUSE in one client. I was going to go out and we were going to do that. And I, I ended up bringing him in the test machine. We set it up. But it had this weird thing where it will show the – when you click on you, – you plug a thumb drive in, it will show up as if it's mounted. But it doesn't actually create the mount point and show the files from a, from a, from a, uh, from a removable storage. And they had some sort of script that, that kicked off that did something when somebody plugged a thumb drive in. And it was the script kept failing because this thing wasn't mounting. And I worked with it a little bit, and I couldn't get it to work. And I f- said, eventually, yeah. just screw it. We'll just go to Ubuntu because yeah. the reality was everything else they were doing, other than this one tiny little piece of software, uh, which we could, which had both RPM and Deb, uh, was all being done in the browser. Yeah, you know, so I, I just went with Ubuntu. So that's that's an interesting reason not to use it. Uh, mine's a little yeah, more was, nuanced yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I actually thought I would be sitting here, and uh, I, I I thought I, I thought I thought by this point in time. OpenSUSE would be the far gone conclusion because the build service was so awesome. They have uh, Tumbleweed. They have their Evergreen releases. I'm still a fan of Yast. And yet I sit here and I think, I don't know, it's still a bit of an unfinished mess. Rotten Corpse, what's your take on it? Uh, I would say that OpenSUSE has like a ton of potential and they do a lot of things that make you really interested in them. But then they kind of fall short in the actual production of the stuff. Like, for example, the OBS is cool. 
but then they don't have any focus on it and it's very clunky and it requires specific uh, files and configurations that you have to know in order to send something to the OBS. And then they have like the SUSE Studio, which is cool, but not a very good environment to reuse. And they have like, there's uh, one click install that's actually like 12 clicks or whatever. Right, very clunky. Yeah, they, they, they have a lot of great ideas, but they never actually like, they don't all come to fruition. Actually, I don't think any of them really f- fully come to fruition. And it's just like, it's really cool and then disappointing. Yeah, and I think a lot of the changes around Zipper and the package manager for a, for a few releases a while ago, sort of, I, I lost momentum on my OpenSUSE edge. Mm-hmm. Like I had, I for a while I ran uh, SUSE Enterprise Linux in a, in a, uh, um, on a quite a few servers. I thought it, I thought it made an... It was so great uh, because you know you could have. It was so easy to make uh, to make a Samba file server with SUSE Linux using the AST mm-hmm. that would connect to the domain and authenticate all of the users and set up all of the permissions. And you could set up extended attributes on all the file systems because SUSE was super easy with RiserFS and mm-hmm. XFS out of the box back then. And it was just like I could drop a SUSE box in. Within 10 minutes, I'd have it connected and authenticating to a Windows domain controller, yeah. and I'd have it all updated in Yast. Yeah. And it was. Beautiful. Yeah. And for a while, I even used this program from the Zamarian folks to, to manage all of the – it was called Red Carpet, and I could manage all of the patches on all of my SUSE boxes from mm-hmm. one GTK console on one desktop. And it yeah. was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And when they went through all these package manager changes, I just really lost momentum on all of that. And and then mm-hmm. – and I just kind of – I kind of fell into – back into apt. Git and Ubuntu for a long time, and it just seems like such a more streamlined process to manage your packages than, and and, and there's so many layers on the OpenSUSE side. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that's given me uh, uh, a little bit of uh, cold feet with SUSE is I'm not very comfortable with their parent company, and I'm not very comfortable with how they've been passed around in the last few years, yeah. and I'm not super clear on what the parent company's priority is for SUSE Linux other than making a distro that is a companion piece to mainframes-type software. Right. And, I, so, and I'm sure that's not their purpose and vision. Right. I just I, have, I feel like they haven't articulated it yet, and so I'm not willing to invest a lot of my personal energy into that. Yeah. The one thing that I see that OpenSUSE really, really uh, digs down on is – if I had a, if somebody came to me and they said I had a lot of experience administrating a Windows server and I want to switch to yeah. a Linux server, yeah. what should I start with? Man, yeah, it's great it, for that, right? Yeah, it is. It, and it and it and it uh, and and SUSE is such a capable distro. OpenSUSE is such a capable distro that uh, I, I think it has a lot of. Uh, but you know, here's the other thing too. If you were going to use OpenSUSE, would you not use KDE? Because it's a really nice KDE implementation. <sighs> really nice. Yeah. And KDE uh, is, is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, they have a good gnome one too. I mean, they do overall; they do good work. And one of the things I like is like Yast is like a Qt UI under mm-hmm. KDE and GTK UI under gnome. Like, they do a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it all doesn't really come together to make it super compelling. But heavens, I'll give you a chance to give them uh, a bit of cred here. Yes, trying to judge the desktop usage of OpenSUSE based on their open build service is not exactly doing it justice. I do use. OpenSUSE, at least in a couple virtual machines, just to test and make sure that it is up to snuff, at least in my standards. It is up to my standards in terms of desktop usage in every way. The Zipper Package Manager, even though it is a little bit different from RPM, but in terms of RPM distros, OpenSUSE is the only one that I kind of like. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's just mostly for a Deb or Pac-Man kind of usage, but I don't think has much to you can't blame it based on its other services even though yeah 
that should work, but one, the one install package manager, or at least one click install packages is useful for users. The package search is useful for users, adding extra repos, especially with GPG based repository authentication is useful and, mm. you know, okay. for, All right. it's nice. All right. Okay. I mean, it's not even the problem. Because the, the, yeah, the well, problem is the whole package. Like, there's a lot of cool things, and they make really good ideas with the package search, and like basically everything is on the website you can install from. Really cool. Yeah, but and it's very clunky it when you actually go through the process. I think I, I think I'm done oh, on this no, topic. It's not. No, it's no, no, hold on, hold on. We can talk. Uh, let's talk about more in the post show because I don't want to spend too much more time in the show on this topic. Because honestly, where and here's where I kind of come down on open source, and that's why I don't want to spend a lot more time on it. Is despite as much as I'd like it, I wish this wasn't the case, mm-hmm. and despite as much as a lot of people in the community who really love this distribution wish it wasn't the case, and the people who work for the company wish it wasn't the case, I believe the reality is. And I'm sorry I have to say this, and this is the final word for this episode on the topic, and we can take other to- – I just need to move on from this. I'm, I'm getting orange on the topic. Red, really. But I, I just I, – I unfortunately do not believe that OpenSUSE really makes much of an impact in the market, in the industry. They don't really move the needle. When they make an initiative, nobody really pays attention except for them. They're not super relevant, not like Ubuntu or Fedora or even Arch or, or honestly, definitely distributions like Debian and, and you know, Slackware even. Mm-hmm. Are, I, maybe – I don't know. There are just a lot of distributions out there that I feel like when they say something, you know, it makes a huge, huge wave. Like when Debian decided to switch to SystemD, holy shit, right? Yeah. When, when SUSE switched to SystemD, do you know when that was? In fact, I, I wasn't even aware that they'd switched to Swiss system DB, honest with you. Right, they yeah. did it a while ago. Yeah. Right? That's my point. And I, I, mean, I wish it wasn't that way. And that's why, to be honest with you, as somebody who's an enthusiast about this market, I like to use a distro that's a little bit more relevant, that has mm-hmm. a little sway. Not a lot. Not a, I don't want a lot of drama. But I do like to have a distro that has some solid relevancy mm-hmm. in the areas I care about. I just don't feel like that's where OpenSUSE is at. And that's my final word on it. So Harold writes in about Angela's Yoga 3. Uh, and he says, I'd like to move my wife to Linux as well, but how do we sync an iPhone or iPad to iTunes using Linux? That's her greatest stumbling block. She, he also wants to know what spreadsheet program she used. Um, a lot to choose from. So uh, w- it's funny that he writes in and asks that, right? Because just like I think, yes, uh, no, Friday, Friday. Yeah. Uh, it was Friday. I was, I, we were working on show notes, and you said, hey, while we're working on that, you know what would be awesome? If you could get Angela's... Um, Angela's iPhone to yeah sync she's up like to- she's like I'm basically doing almost everything on the yoga except you know what I take pictures with my iPhone and when I plug it in nothing happens and I thought oh yeah that's right we never like we never went back around to get that working like we talked about it on the show and then and then I just like I just I forget that there's people there's still people pulling photos off their phones using USB like i just yeah. think when you take pictures it like syncs to something and and she talked about using dropbox and own cloud but none of the, she takes so many pictures and they're fairly high resolution she likes being able to plug it in have them suck off the device and then delete them off the camera roll of the device but the fundamental problem is you have to get the linux box to recognize the iphone and this has got to be a common problem in our audience right so the the answer is actually fairly straightforward there's two or three packages you need to install we'll have a link in the show notes to them but they have uh it, once you get those packages installed what it allows you to do is mount the phone as either an MTP device yeah. or actually mount it as a drive. Now, we actually set it up so that it mounts as a drive, but it doesn't have right access to the phone. And the reason for that is... We is want we, to be careful. We want to be careful. And she's had problems in the past where she does something on Linux thinking that she is just making copies of her photos. Which and in fact, it's moving them. Yeah. Here, there is no possibility it can move them. Right. The only thing it can do is copy them. Yeah. Now, you can actually set it up so that inside of Shotwell, it looks when a given 
mount point is mounted. So when slash media slash Anch's iPhone mounts, it will automatically look inside of that directory and then uh, the DCIM folder to pull all to yeah, sync up all of her photos. That's not a hard set, right? No, and so the nice thing for her is she just plugs her phone in mm-hmm. and somehow all of her pictures will magically populate in. And Shotwell. yeah, she like, she actually likes the idea too that it's in the file manager. So if she just wanted a single photo yes. to post online or something, right, or send it to me over Telegram, so that would be that would be yeah that would be mounting it. Uh, and yeah, you're right. So she can log in there and just manually copy that photo out. But it actually it really took, what, take five minutes? And, and four of those minutes were researching it and 30 have, seconds were implementing it? Ha, you know, so the Librem is on the verge of shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, July, I think, yeah. The XPS 13 is very solid. Mm-hmm. The Yoga is very solid. Mm-hmm. Dell's got this new $250 laptop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Linux is big. <laughs> yeah, and that doesn't Turns even out. that doesn't even count. Like System seventy six has their best Bonobo Extreme yet. Like mm-hmm. that thing's a monster. They're shipping the Meerkat. There's a great ton of options desktop wise. Galago is amazing. You have like the this is the best year for Linux laptops ever. Yeah, and a lot of these like are shipping with very good Intel graphics mm-hmm. that are plenty good for average users. And for those of us who want to have dedicated graphics, those options are available too. Yeah, and but really, if you think about it, the in, the the Intel embedded graphics are really what have what have kind of driven this market so far forward because yeah. Now you don't need to have dedicated – before, like five years ago, when you bought your original Bonobo, I bet you – like buying integrated graphics would have been a joke. Not an option. Because you can't get anything done on it. Not I mean, even you possible. You can't game. I, I wasn't there, couldn't and, use OBS. And, and, and this thing has to drive – this thing has to mirror the display out to the yeah. capture machine. So and how then, are you going to do that with How can I play graphics? any how, – how can I show any video games under Linux with integrated graphics back then and, and then also mirror the display 1080p? Right. Can and do. now, and now, look at that tiny little nook over yeah, there. Yeah, it's doing it. Does the same I know, freaking thing. I know, I know, I know. So yeah, they have got it's got gotten light years better, and and it's only going to improve. Yeah. Um. In fact, one might even wonder, it, at least in the mobile sphere, where you want a thin, portable, powerful, powerful laptop. Yeah. At some point, do we just stop putting? Uh, do we stop putting outboard graphics on for the purpose of getting that laptop down a little bit in size and, and compact? If integrated graphics get a little bit better. That's why I had a great hope for Thunderbolt. I wanted to be able to have an integrated graphics laptop and then hook up an external GPU and have at it. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. Alienware's got something like that. You know, so integrated graphics have been changing the game for portability on the Intel-based machines, mm-hmm. the, you know, the amount of performance you can get it. It's the same thing uh, sort of in the server space like DigitalOcean has done. That's our next sponsor where they've taken something and they've been able to get it to a price that's just unbelievable. $5 a month for your own server at DigitalOcean. It's incredible. And when you use our promo code Unplugged, one word, you're going to get a $10 credit. At, what, what, what? 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 You don't know what DigitalOcean is. <laughs> DigitalOcean is a simple cloud host provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. How about that, Noah? That's did pretty you, cool. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Tell uh, me about DigitalOcean. Well, so, it's not like I have like 30 droplets. Uh, which is it's crazy. It's not like I had to email DigitalOcean and ask them to expand yeah. my droplet offering so that I could get more droplets. Freaking that, that didn't happen. Ga- game freaking changer. That's what DigitalOcean is. Game freaking changer. Uh, I can't even imagine if I was doing what Noah does as a day job and DigitalOcean was around. It would change how my business was structured. I mean, actually... You would have made a lot more money. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And in a way, like uh, now I think about some of the stuff we're doing uh, server-side for Jupiter Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And how would I have done that before DigitalOcean? Like, would you I have... To, you, would, you either had rented rent a rack space. Yeah. You would have either had to rent an actual dedicated server, which would cost you like a couple hundred dollars or, a month. Or like go or cra- you would crazy and I could maybe set up a server here. So then, but, okay, all right, let's talk about that. But then I got bandwidth problems. Hold on. And Comcast. Let's, let's, so before you ever get to the bandwidth problems, you got to come up with 2,500 macaroos yeah. Yeah. to, to get, get the, the drive, yeah. or to get the server. And and oftentimes, that's not even going to include, you're going to want to put uh, some solid state drives well, in and there, if this beef thing is, that up. Yeah, and these things are, these things like, so uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of automated backend functionality if this doesn't work, 
shows don't go out. So I'm going dual. I'm going redundant power. Okay. I'm going to go hardware uh, drive array. Okay. Right. I mean, all and all right. I, then I'm setting this box up myself. But now, I'm, now still, you're you're hoping that you're counting on a couple things. One, you still have the risk of a hardware failure, even yeah. if it's redundant. Yeah. You're not, they're, they're still they're going to be or a Comcast st- outage. Okay. So we haven't gotten gotten to bandwidth. First, the the the, the server itself can die. Second, you might have a yeah. bandwidth issue. And third, what about uh, what about your expandability? Right. In two years, in a year, yeah. it's dead. Yeah. And you you can't upgrade. Well, that or thing. what if the network starts growing really crazy fast? Then what am I going to do? Then I'm just out that money because I'm going to replace it anyways. What I'm you and is, that doesn't even set, that doesn't even settle the fact that I'm going to probably need to set up like a DMZ on the firewall yeah. and get that all wired in. Right. Get the firewall rules all set up. But even if all that worked perfectly and nothing ever went wrong, which let's face it, what's the chances of that happening? Thanks. Even if nothing, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you need us, Rakai and I, to come in here and do some wiring for you. But if that happened, it'd probably have a decent chance of staying up. Oh, but okay. no, even if, even oh, really? Yeah. We're going there, <laughs> yeah, are we? There again. Even if all of the hardware functioned for for a year or two. Yeah. At the end of that two years, yeah. now you have to do all over again, and you have to set all that crap up again. It's ridiculous. And meanwhile, uh, DigitalOcean's over here. They're going to get you going in less than fifty five seconds when you spin up five a droplet bucks. for five dollars a month. You get you five twelve megabytes of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. But it's a terabyte of transfer at like tier one data centers with unbelievable connections. At in, they have data centers in New York, they have ones in San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. Uh, it is really nice. And then the best part is, uh, and I wouldn't get this if I rolled my own rig, they have an amazing interface to manage it all. They, they really have a super intuitive control panel, and you can get all kinds of additional functionality on your own using their API. And I'm thinking, like, create your machines, obviously, destroy them, duplicate them, make backups of them before you make a big system change with a really nice snapshot system. Full-feature DNS management allows you to easily manage your domain. Snapshots are a great functionality. They're not just, like, backup. These are like full – this is a great way to deploy servers. Like you get a server set up just the way you want. You snapshot, you make it a template. You want to snapshot something and send it off to another customer. Try, hey, here, let me set you up a WordPress machine. Think about this, you guys. You, you could go over there and have a droplet that you set up with like a perfect ghost installation all set up for customers. And you could sell it. You could sell that. Like make that a service and, and re-host it. You, and and DigitalOcean has referral programs and all kinds of things. Like it's a really great offering for the customers too. They've structured it in a way to incentivize you as well. So go check out some of those options like their one-click installations that make the control panel super nice. And by the way, tons of job openings right now. They've asked me specifically to mention that they're looking for some of the best Linux admins out there. And they, they also want... The right place. I know. And they also want to get some content editors because they're doubling down once again. They're doing another like big push on their... Uh, content for their uh, uh, community tutorials and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They're willing to pay people. And, you know, the real secret to DigitalOcean is a lot of these tutorials are not necessarily DigitalOcean specific. Like how to set up an SSH key. Look how well this is done. Look how clear this is. That is super nice. That is super mm-hmm. clean. And none of this, none of this is specific to a DigitalOcean droplet. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the super nice thing, right? Is that they mm-hmm. they they have those set up as just we want to help people. We're going to yeah. set this up and 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 uh, and provide that information. They to you. look at and all of that as like a whole product. Yeah, yeah. they really do. Because yeah. like when they rolled out free BSD support, they rolled out a whole bunch of tutorials with it. Like it said, they want they don't want you just to sit there and have a drop. They want you to really get some use out of it. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, and they have uh, great products that built around that API too. Like you've tried out the Swimmer app. Yep. Uh, Mist.io is really cool. Command.io, you can manage your DigitalOcean droplets using the command line. Yeah, and That's you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. You, you know, you talk about that control panel being easy to use and intuitive. The other part of it is for people like me who I do the same repetitive task over and over again. I'm not using a lot of their features of clicking this and changing that and modify. I'm going to do all that from the command line once I SSH in. Right? For me, uh, once I log in, it's like three clicks to get stuff rolling. Yeah, and then I just. 
I have the IP address and I, I throw that in my DNS server and now I can access that machine. And and like I said, I don't I, I didn't get a chance to show it on 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 uh, on Sunday, but the way that you can set it up with SSH keys, they just have a button so I can check yes. Noah's lanyard, Noah's laptop, and then when I spin up a DigitalOcean droplet, yep. boom. I, I can instantly have access to it. I don't have to wait for the email to come through. Do you remember when I had that problem mm-hmm. here and yes. I, my email went down, so I couldn't get the email? Yeah. You know, and they, uh, that took me what thirty seconds to set it's that very up. Very nice. Yeah, it's quick. It's easy. It, you, you've never you've never had a better experience. Because usually, what you have to do is you have to SSH into the computer yep. and you have to enter this huge long password. And then you have to run all these stupid commands to get yep. it, and copy the it, and copying an SSH key is not as easy as you might think it is because it's a, you can't have any spaces. You can't modify it. Right. It's just, it's just a pain. There, I click a button. One and button. Now I have my SSH key. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code D-O-Unplugged. One word. They'll get you a $10 credit. Try that $5 rig for two months for free. You'd be surprised what you can do with it. I, I, I have so many things I actually frequently forget all the things I'm using it for. Like, yeah. it's, I, it's amazing how much I've integrated into my life and how, how hassle-free that is. DigitalOcean.com. It's so cool to have your own server up there that rocks, and you could use it for so many things. All right, Mr. Noah, I want to talk a little bit about GNOME 3.18. Uh, major updates are coming for GNOME 3.18, and of course we're going to see that land in a little while. But probably the ones we should talk about today is the changes coming to the files. You know, the old Nautilus mm-hmm. application. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to bring numerous under the hood and user visible changes. It also fixes bugs that have been reported by users for a while now. Uh, so fix for window focus issues that have occurred with the file manager, handling the command line options in certain areas. They're going to also introduce a public API for files to allow for plugins to be written. Uh, and a documentation for developers to create those extensions as well will be released. Interface has had some modifications. Uh, they've added padding on the window list and views and things like that. I'm going to show you a picture of it. Oh, they took the picture down. Well, good thing I put that in the show notes. Uh, we do have uh, – I do have – here's another copy of it. And I'll zoom in. I don't know if you can see, Noah, a little bit here. But they're adding uh, They're adding some – like when you create a new folder, this pop-down area here is mm-hmm. new. They've cleaned up this area here and added some padding. The search area has been changed a little bit. So Files is getting quite a bit of attention in uh, GNOME 3.18. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just – I'm looking and I'm thinking. I kind of – you know, I, I'm all about innovation. I think that's great. I'm glad that we're always trying to move forward. And I, I can always appreciate a company that uh, attempts to be innovative even if I don't always agree with the innovations. But like, I don't know if I want to create my folder up in a menu. I think I want to. I think I want to create a folder. Like I want to right click and create a folder. Or if I have to go up here and create can. a new folder, you still be able to oh, right click. Okay. All right. Uh, but yeah, have you checked out Nemo? No. Nemo mm-hmm. is a fork of the Nautilus file manager started by the Cinnamon Project, I believe, and uh, it has it's 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 pretty good. I I don't know, Noah. I. No, I care. See, Greater, Greater says, wow, GNOME 3 will bring updated apps. It's incredible. Who cares? I, th- I feel like we can be such dicks in the open source community. <laughs> like, uh, w- w- are we so callous that we have stopped caring that uh, a desktop that was, was down on the ropes yeah. that people thought was a failed desktop initiative is yeah. now coming out with incredible updates that yeah. are genuinely impressive and yeah. in some cases – more trend setting than any other desktop on the market. I mean, look at Yosemite. Yosemite and, and some of the UI changes they made there were direct ripoffs of GNOME 3. Yeah. You look at some of the changes in Windows 10 and the way they're managing virtual desktops and things yeah. like that, very much a ripoff of the way they do things in GNOME 3. Right. I think GNOME 3 has been a trend setter. And I think GNOME 3.16 is the best 
full desktop environment for Linux. Yeah. I, I say you stack Plasma 5 is getting great, but it's still not there yet. It's mm-hmm. still not mm-hmm. there yet. As far as a full-featured, complete, modern desktop, I'm not talking about your co- your awesomes and your ex-monads. I'm talking about, you know, yeah. a real full-blood, full-red-blooded right. desktop. Nothing is beating GNOME 316, and I think it's a little sad that as a community, we don't give them enough recognition. The updates they have made are genuinely reflecting user feedback. They're genuine improvements, and, and as somebody who has used desktops since we have had graphical environments. Literally, I have been using desktop computing since GUIs were a thing for mass adoption, and I, in my personal opinion, have never used a better graphical environment in 30 years of using computers. Okay. So let me take the other side of it, if only for the purpose of discussion. uh, Why is it that, that, that basic things that Unity has are still not implemented in GNOME? So I'll give you an example. Okay. When I open the display manager in Unity, I can choose where I want my launcher bar to be. If I want it on the far right display, if I want it on the center display, left, in my house I have six, I can pick which one of those six displays I want it on. Why is it in GNOME? Not only can I do that, I can't set the, I can't set the refresh rate. I can't set... You can't uh, do that in Unity either. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's true. Now, remember, Unity's what? Had eight releases now almost? Seven releases? Yeah. So, okay. I'll give you that. So you're saying they're they're just they're they're further on? Is that no no? Are you not able to set where that? Like I'm able to no. set where that bar goes. How? No. In, in Gnome Tweak. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, then maybe it's something I'm missing. Uh, when, I, I guess I guess where I looked for it was inside of the displays. I can't. Set, oh yeah, maybe the bar. How about the activities menu? I will. So so what I want is if I have three monitors, mm-hmm. I would prefer that the activities menu be on my far left monitor. Mm. The reason for that is mm-hmm. because I when my, when I send my mouse up to the far and I sent it all the way to the end, then I want it to, to activate the activities menu. The last time I've done it, it, the way it sets up, the activities menu shows up on my center display, and then when I scroll through my virtual desktops, it moves I think this I, other monitor. I feel like uh, we're arguing uh, slightly uh, – I think I'm on another level. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that could be. That no, could be. what I'm saying okay. is like I, I guess don't mistake what I'm saying to say that it's flawless. Right. Because that's not possible. Of course. Uh, what I'm saying is – But you said – Because what you're talking about is like an esoteric use case, honestly. You're talking okay. about a three to six monitor setup and you want the activities the activities monitors, menu to two be – Two monitors and I just want the activities menu on the other monitor. Well, that's how it works now. You just – whatever is your primary monitor is where the activities menu is. Okay. So if you have a dual monitor setup and you set activities to be you could whatever your primary monitor is that's where that menu menu's at. Okay. So yeah, you know, you can't say if I have three or four or five yeah. or six monitors, okay. I want it on monitor number four. All right. But like these are also changes that as the desktop matures, they're gonna add these refinements back in. They have see, and this is the other thing, is the thing that we really crapped on them for was pulling a bunch of features out. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, they are the developers. They know what code has been rotten, they know what code needs to go, they know where yeah. they want to take things. And where they need to restart. And so at some point you have to trust that they have some some more insights than us users do at some level. So if you accept that, then perhaps they can do some reduction of functionality if you also grant that basically since GNOME 3.10, it's been nothing but adding a bunch of great features that we all wanted back in there. Right. And with GNOME 3.16, we're really down that path. Mm-hmm. And with GNOME 3.18 now, we're going even further down that path. And I would argue that I also think that we have been way too hard on them for their focus on the touchscreen. Because now that I have had a couple of users try out to, I know, I know, I can't believe I'm saying it either. I, I, I seriously can't believe those words came out of my mouth. You roll your eyes all you want because I still think it's also an excessive use. But the couple of users now, and this is super anecdotal evidence, but the couple of users I've had use the touchscreen laptops, they all think it's great. They think it's the – they think it's great. It is – to Angela, the best thing about her yoga is that she swipes that touchscreen up to unlock it. To her, that's one of the coolest features on that laptop because these these people are primarily mobile users. So the fact that they can reach out and touch it from time to time is almost an intuitive way to interact with the computer. So I could see that if the touchscreen in GNOME functioned the way that 
the touchscreen functions on mobile. But the reality is I still feel when I touch the touchscreen on GNOME, I still feel like I have taken a touchscreen and plugged it into a desktop. I yeah. don't feel like I actually have a touch-optimized desktop. Where, where she's they using totally it different. is like she attaches the activities corner or from on the, do- or the dock launcher or to unlock the screen. That's about all she uses it for. I can see unlocking the screen. That feels normal enough. But even the activities menu is is just small is just small enough that if that I have to like kind of wiggle my finger in the corner to to get that to to launch. I don't know. I just it just doesn't feel my my perfect desktop would be exactly what GNOME is today, mm-hmm. written in Qt. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's let me take it from another angle then. If GNOME has done such a good job with the desktop, why do we have to apply so many extensions to make yeah, it? Yeah, that's usable? a fair argument. I mean, but can't you say the same thing about Firefox and Chrome? Yes, I could, except I don't use any extensions in Firefox. I think it works perfectly right out of the box. You really don't use many extensions in GNOME, though, either. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I don't, but that's because I'm too lazy to install them. If I, but it uh, works for you so without them. It does. It does. That's true. It's, I'm not saying it's not usable without extensions. I'm just saying that it, I guess I did just say that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 see, my approach with the extensions is I, I find GNOME irritating to use without them, but mm-hmm. usable. Yeah. With extensions, it is, it's so in that sweet spot where I've got my, kind of my cool heads up information that I like to have, but it's not at the KDE level where I'm constantly tweaking it because the options are there. Mm-hmm. It's just that sweet spot. Uh, I, 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 I probably could Until you update the next GNOME and then your extensions are going to break. And well, you know, but that's been getting better too. Like I, yeah. I, I grant you that as well. But like my update from 3.14 to 3.16 mm-hmm. – I didn't have a single extension that didn't work because mm-hmm. either the authors are right on top of it or like I think maybe I had one extension that didn't work, but it's mm-hmm. so minimal that it doesn't really matter. I don't think I could use GNOME without the extensions for a long term, mm-hmm. but like for a few days after an update, it's not a big deal. Now, how do you think that that relates to uh, to to a new user? You know, the, one of the nice things about Ubuntu and Unity is that big dock along the side makes it really, really mm-hmm. obvious how they recognize Firefox. They mm-hmm. recognize mm-hmm. Thunderbird, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, Chrome. So when they see those icons, it's pretty intuitive just to reach up and click them. Now, granted, there are cer- certain things that are horrible in Unity for a new user experience. For example, it hides all the menus I think, by default. I think by default, is really GNOME is a little hard for app discovery. Although, remember when we sat Angela down? The yeah. first thing she did was went up to the corner and looked for applications. Like okay. she, Remember that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. we, we even asked her. Like, she's also used GNOME, right? No. Oh, really? Well, I mean, she's used it here, but I have the dock. Yeah, okay. I mean, she's never used that menu before mm-hmm. that I know of. Yeah. Uh, and so I just thought it was... To her, it seemed kind of intuitive to go up in the corner to launch an ma- application. But I agree. I think that for no- normal users, yeah. I take that uh, dash to dock extension mm-hmm. and I set it to auto expand like the Unity right. button. And I think that just makes a lot of no, sense. No, it, it totally does. I guess my question was, then, do you th- do you see that? Do you see GNOME as as primarily a power user's desktop? Then, and maybe not power. Maybe that's a wrong term. Uh, uh, experienced users, not necessarily power users. I think it's perfect for experienced users right now. Um, okay. And I think it's. I think if they could stabilize the extension stuff, I think it'd be a lot better for regular users. Or I think the stuff they just keep adding to it will re- won't. You won't require extensions. So I, I actually am. I'm pretty excited about it to be honest with you because I think they're going in a direction that uh, is great for users like you and I that have been using Linux for a long time yeah. and are are comfortable with GNOME tweak and mm-hmm. we're comfortable with installing some extensions. Ironically, like those are some of the more, more hardcore things to do for a desktop that's supposed to be super simple. Yeah. But if you're comfortable with that stuff, which is pretty much everybody in our audience, I think it's perfect for them. Yeah. And then if you've got if you can get somebody like if you get one extension on there like basically like Angela's desktop, she could get by with just dash to dock. Yeah. And I think she'd be fine. 
Yeah. So I think for her, it's fun. Yeah, I guess if you don't know what to look for, yeah. or you don't know what you're missing, or no. you don't know what you what, what you is available. If, and if you don't know, you could have a Bitcoin ticker in your menu bar yeah. or, a, or a ping indicator. Yeah. You don't care when they go away. Yeah, 14.2 milliseconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, really? Really? I'm at 11.3 milliseconds yeah, I'm right wireless. Now. Oh, I get oh, the wired advantage. Yeah, Hello, Ethernet. Wired advantage. Uh, you know, Mr. Noah, we could go on about this for a long time. We could. Uh, but I do want to just take a moment here, and I want to talk about our next sponsor, and that's Ting. And then, and then my friends, we have got to dig into this stuff going on in Fedora. Actually, there's some really interesting things. I, one particular I forgot to mention in our Fedora review, major oversight because it's totally changed the way I use my laptop. So we got to talk about that in our Fedora. I know. Can you believe I forgot that in the review? Well, it's oh, the way you change your laptop right before you decided that you couldn't deal with Fedora anymore and you have to go back to Archer right before the show. That doesn't have to do with this thing, though. No, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about more about that, too. Okay, all right. Uh, but first, let me tell you about, that's right, our buddies over at Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, please, won't you? Well, hi there. Not only do you get to put Linux in your, uh, in your URL bar, but you get a $50 discount off your first Ting device. $50. Yeah. Fifty dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah, dude. They have some devices that are nearly only fifty dollars. Like it's almost the whole <laughs> yeah, device. Yeah, yeah. And if you have a compatible device, you'll get a service credit. Now, why Ting, my friends? I will tell you why. Ting is mobile that truly makes sense. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Mobile that makes sense. It's no contract. You only pay for what you use. Six dollars is the is all you pay for the line, and then it's just your usage on top of that. It's really straightforward and obvious too. There's no hidden secrets in there. There's just like your usage your taxes, and the line. And the devices are unlocked. You own the device outright. So that's super nice, isn't it? You can get there, go over there and bring your own device if you uh, have a GSM-compatible one, or they have so, so many nice ones to choose from now. And one of the things I really enjoy about Ting is I can fully manage it just using my own web browser. I really never have to call Ting, even though I could. Ironically, Ting is so well-structured for that. If you call them at 1-855-TING-FTW, between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., a real human being answers the phone. Here, wrap your head around this, you guys. It's it's mobile service with no contract, no early termination fees. You're only paying for your actual usage, and they have no hold customer service. Plus, they have a CDMA or GSM network you can choose from. That's super powerful and a lot of flexibility. For me, it's really nice uh, just from a, from a straight – this probably sounds a little excessive, but – See, with Ting, it's very easy to have multiple lines because I'm just playing the $6. Right. So I've, it's, Ting now has the Galaxy S6 Edge. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best phone of the year right now. Yeah. Oh, I think many would agree with you. So I also still have my Nexus 5, which is also a very good phone. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about the Nexus 5, that, this, that the Edge, I don't know if it does, is that the, the Nexus 5 can be moved between GSM and CDMA. Oh, so like when yeah. we go to conferences and yeah. stuff, I can look up the coverage map and see if it's stronger to have CDMA or yep. GSM. But on top of that, if I get there and I discover, oh, man, the GSM network's blasted at this conference, mm-hmm. I can try switching over to the CDMA network. I just got to swap the SIMs out and stuff, yep. switch over to the CDMA network, and now I have – like that is such a unique competitive advantage to Ting right now that I yeah. just – that blows my mind. And it's – you just pay for what you use. Yeah, and the great thing about it is because of their intuitive dashboard, you can shut that phone off and it can sit in the studio here yeah. for six months. You never touch it. Right. Then when you get there, you yep. log in. In fact, you can do it on your Ting app. Yeah. You can open it uh, up. From my, from my app. That's yep. what I do. I just turn <coughs> I it on and off from my on, other yeah. phone. It's really like the so way it should be. You said you thought that it was most of the cost of a phone. You can actually get the Kyocera Dura XT for $47. Now, at first glance, you might look at that and go, why would I want that old looking flip phone? Oh, but I don't know. Do you know, how I, you know how I got started on Ting? I was I was I was I was I was listening to the Linux Action Show, and the only time I had to do that was at like three in the morning. So my wife was next to me sleeping, and all of a sudden I get out of bed and I'm over at the I'm over at my computer, and she goes, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I got to check this out. I, I think you can get a phone for like ten bucks a month." And she's like, 
what, do we have to do that now? And I'm like, well, yeah, yes, we have to do that yes, now. Yes, we have to do that now. So I ordered something like this. It was made by Samsung, but it was very similar. It's just a little flip phone. And that was that was how I got started on Ting. And it was just my, like, like what you were talking about, a bat phone. So yeah. I t- gave Sarah the number, and I'm like, here, you're the only one that has this number. Mm-hmm. Anything really important happens, call me on this. The battery will last a mm-hmm. while, and I'll just have this with me. Yeah. And it didn't. And, th- and then once I learned, you know, that I made sure that I could get coverage everywhere I wanted. Yeah. Then I well, just and like over so, this Kyocera Dura, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This is a forty-seven dollars uh, feature phone. Uh, it like is it's super durable. Uh, they, they they joke here they can get hit by missiles, and it still uh, it still works. What I don't know about that. that. Well, it's military. It meets the military eight hundred one G standard, which means the phone can take dust, rain, radiation, salt, and humidity. I don't see anything about missiles. No, I don't either. Okay. Uh, it, so has, it has Bluetooth. It also has a camera. Now it's not going to be a very good camera, but you know what this made me think. If, if it's it's rugged, which means it's probably going to handle like heat and stuff okay in my yeah. glove box, mm-hmm. it has a camera, mm-hmm. I could just have this thing like plugged into my cigarette adapter yep. for $6 a month, at which you, when you get a $50 credit, the phone is freaking free, and then it's just, it's $6, yeah. and I could have an emergency phone in my vehicle at all times. Right, right. That's really you nice. You can have an emergency phone in your vehicle, or, you know, I like to spend a lot of time at the lake in the summer. It'd be great to throw that in the backpack and just know that if I ever need a phone and the, yeah. you know, it gets a little wet, yeah. I don't have to baby it and stuff like right. that. Right, yeah, like, or like, uh, you know, uh, I was just out at the uh, out, of, out of the lake recently, and mm-hmm. I was very, very aware that my, I just got the S6, and yeah. it's out there at the lake, and I'm like, yeah. if I freaking ruin this phone out on the lake and yeah. it's just like even out in the sun and stuff yeah. it bakes mm-hmm. so like that'd be the perfect day to take my day phone now it sounds really crazy to take a different phone with you depending on where you're going but it's so easy to move numbers around like with google voice and stuff or and it's so cheap to do it at six bucks a month yeah and and, and when you get the 50 dollars service credit this phone's free yeah and so it, it just and the same thing like they have my they have the MiFi adapters and you I, could get actually you know what i noticed the phone is 47 dollars so actually the phone is free, yeah. and they're going to pay for half of the line charge yeah. for the for the for, for the first month yeah. or whatever. Because they pay the first three dollars. You're going to get a couple dollars for the credit. service. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's nuts. How it's can great. they afford to do that? Well, it's that's that that's what's so awesome about the MVNO structures. They they didn't have to dig the dirt and put all of those towers in. So they didn't they didn't blow out a billion dollars doing that. So they can focus on the customer service. They can focus on the right devices. They can focus on the awesome plans and making the deals possible. They buy up all the spectrum from these guys at wholesale, mm-hmm. and they get a great price on that. Mm-hmm. And when you remove that layer of having to constantly invest in the infrastructure and all the techs and pulling all the fiber and all of that, when you remove all of that, you can focus on really the customer experience. And that's Ting's secret weapon. Yeah. And that's why they're always going to be more competitive than the other guys. Right. So go yeah. to linux.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. All right. So Fedora 22 came out. And uh, we've talked to – the last couple of Fedora releases, we've gotten a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. We've gone from really not talking about Fedora very much to now yeah. we talk about Fedora a lot. Yeah. And I feel like – Linux Action Show is definitely improving. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Noah takes no credit uh, for himself there, of no, course. No, no. Uh, no of I course. wasn't there for the other oh, two yeah, reviews. Yeah, yeah, I'm no. just saying the quality of the show is improving because you're talking everybody. about Fedora. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. It's for people who like to mess with computers. That That is true, actually. <laughs> I would agree with that. Fedora is for people that like to mess with computers. Yeah. I actually agree with Leah Laporte on something. Okay, That's all amazing. Right. So uh, we did mention that uh, uh, Fedora 22 marks the demise of Yum and the introduction of DNF. Uh, and uh, does anybody in the mumble remember what DNF? Yeah, exactly. The quality of Fedora increased as well. Uh, did you, what does DNF stand for? Do you remember? Does not stand for anything, maybe. <laughs> uh, and but the, here's the one thing that was the miss in our review that I wanted to follow up on right now, and I also wanted to kind of mention it because it's one of the semi-controversial things about the new release of Fedora. It's not the use of Wayland for GDM, but it's the new lib input 
that uh, changes the way trackpads are handled. And uh, for my Synaptics trackpads, I have noticed a huge improvement in accuracy. Uh, right now, I'm using it to scroll this page, and I, I can't quite describe what it is that feels different about it, but it feels very good. Like this, responsive. Scroll, it's right on the money. Yeah, it's, it's responsive. right on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and did you notice the difference too with the mouse input? Not on this piece of crap, but uh, but the on the on my uh, on my System seventy six or on my uh, on my I have the the that uh, not a Dell. I have oh, that Lenovo. That's what it is. My yeah. my wife's uh, Lenovo. I was testing it on there and on those with with smoother trackpads. It works. It was very responsive, and and like I think you made the you said this. I think Linux Unplugged, maybe it was last week, and I just it struck a chord with me. It feels like the cursor is glued to your finger. Yes, it's like yeah. it's attached to your finger exactly. Yeah. Like it's right there. It's, they've really nailed it. Uh, it feels like a level of mouse responsiveness I've never seen in X before. Like I thought maybe that just wasn't capable in X11. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was going like, okay, I got to wait for Wayland. I guess I hope they fix it then. Yeah. But lib input's real nice. Uh, so DNF, by the way, uh, stands for Danified Yum. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw it. Dandified, right? Dandified Yum. Dandified Yum. Dandified. It's amazing how they come up with these names. It's something. (laughs) Here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. That is going to be in some sort of corporate brief at some point. The, the the selling points of, of, of RHEL 9, RHEL 10, is going to update and update package manager, and You're they're right. going to be using the dandified yum. Like some guy in a business suit is going to sit there and have to listen to it. It's just kind of funny to me, you know? <laughs> that is, I never thought about it from the RHEL perspective. Yeah. Uh, anybody in the mumble room want to share their perspectives on Fedora 22 before uh, I uh, kind of get into what's coming up for Fedora 23? Nobody has used Fedora 22. You're all missing out. Do you know what you're missing? I've used every Fedora release since one. That's a great and no, release. And nobody has tried Fedora 22. This might be the best release of Fedora yet. Yeah. I've, with so a couple of exceptions. I have, I've had some weird problems with Chrome under Fedora 22. A couple of my extensions did not install, yeah. uh, which has never happened to me before. And Flash video plays. The Chrome tab shows the audio is playing, but yeah. I don't actually get any sound out from Chrome. That's an Adobe problem. It's a Flash. I, I know, but I've never had that problem before. I'm just kidding. I don't even know if it, it, it does is. Is it even Flash? Because well, isn't it rendering in HTML5? Did we oh, talk about that's this? right. I don't think it's a That's cr- right. We tried HTML5 video and it doesn't work either. It's mm-hmm. just any sound in Chrome. Yeah. And, and Firefox doesn't have that problem. Yeah. So that's I've had those issues. Um, but for the most part, it has been pretty good for me. Chrome is sort of a, is a sticky point. Uh, I'd like to get the audience's response. Obviously, our virtual lug has not been too excited about Fedora 22. Yeah, well, I guess, so here's the thing, too. Fedora is not for everyone. And Red Hat acknowledges that Fedora is not for everyone. And I am a diehard lover of Fedora, and I acknowledge that Fedora isn't for everyone. Fedora is a great release if you, for one, for a long time, if you wanted to use GNOME, it was a great release to have. Yeah. Because if you if you're not if you don't want to take the time to put, to put Arch together, because mm-hmm. I, I, maybe I just want to install my operating system. And and I'd like to have things like a software manager and stuff like that. Um, I think that Fedora fits the bill pretty well. Um, and, but and then, and then like I said, I think the real sweet spot is if you're a system administrator and you want something that you can try out the newest versions of something before it actually goes yes. in, in, into into a, into a stable production. I wonder you know, that too. I think is where it I, is. I, and I, maybe not many. I wonder how many people are waiting for Corora twenty two, that the respin of Fedora that includes all the codecs and makes it much easier for end users. So I want to I want to clarify this. So somebody says uh, they want to bring up the comparison to Antergos. Antergos is a is a is it's a great installer. It's a great uh, distro, and I think it does do a very good job of just you plug the USB key and then I have Linux. However, however, first of all. There are tiny little issues that that do come up with with Antergos. Like its installer can be broken from time to time. Like the installer doesn't yeah. recognize the internet. That seems to be an issue. But the other thing is too is Antergos still is a it's it's a very customized 
in it's very it's very customized and it's very minute. So okay, all right. Give when, me when give you, me like so one example. The, all right, so when you plug the USB drive in, you you have to choose if you want to install. <laughs> you have to choose you and your which USB desktop. Drives. Oh, what, what, sorry, you put the CD in, Chris. No, when no, it's just, I just like that you're you, this USB. Like how the how, how the desktop environment handles the USB storage medium is like <laughs> is like a major issue for you. No. Like it's like a deal That's breaker. Not what I was talking about, I was talking about okay. installing it. But, All right, but but you you have to choose the desktop environment. Right, and so for somebody that plays with a lot of Linux distros, that's super nice, and I think that's a, that's that's an awesome. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was saying you get to choose a desktop. Yeah, that's true. You get to, but kind of the nice thing about Fedora is when I plug it in, I just I can just install it. Like I, I, some of those some of those things are gone, and in some respects, it's kind of nice because I get it's kind of a mix between this really bleeding edge and mm-hmm. not just having to custom a curated thing. pick every single thing. Yeah. I, I have a mail client. I have a web browser. So have you tried Corora? No. Well, yeah, a while ago. I haven't tried it with the, obviously with uh, twenty. They don't have Core twenty two out yet. Well, and I think I think like people in our mumble room, if you've been kind of or in our audience, if you've kind of been borderline curious about Fedora, but you're worried about it maybe not working for you, you could just try straight up Fedora. It's pretty great. Yeah, Corora twenty two when it hits though, you know, like uh, I, I I one of the things I really like about it is it just it comes loaded again. I know this is always my go to, but it just comes loaded with a ton of stuff that I like. So you mm-hmm. get to choose from Cinnamon, GNOME, KDE, Mate, or XFCE. <laughs> it's got Adobe Flash already installed. Dropbox, Google Chrome is loaded with the Google Talk plugin. RPM Fusion repos are already set up. VirtualBox is already is ready to go. Third party driver support is set up and ready to go. Like for Nvidia graphics cards, Steam is an, is no problem to get going. Like it just it. It just takes all of the stuff that you might want and makes it ready to go. So I guess where I get kind of disappointed with that is it. I guess it makes me disappointed that we have to have essentially a fork of Fedora to get those things. I, I would like re-spin. to see those. They're using the respin tools, I think, in Fedora. I, I would like to get that respin if 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 your opinion is reflected on on a large uh, user base, and I think that it is. I think it would be. It'd be nice to see those changes implemented in the actual. You, bet you know they won't because of the legal issues. Right. So right. this yeah, is true. this is taking care of a problem that Red Hat can't legally do. Despite yeah. if Red Hat wanted to make the most amazing desktop ever, they couldn't because of yeah. legal so legality. So they you know what these guys take care of it for them. And the thing is, is it follows pretty closely to Fedora. Mm-hmm. And if you want to use regular Fedora, you can. I just think Corora is a great option. Yeah. Uh, Fedora twenty three is going to have a new way to upgrade. So FedUp has been around uh, since um, Fedora seventeen. Have you ever used FedUp? Yes. Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. FedUp is getting rewritten. Uh, to be totally honest, I would not recommend upgrading Fedora. Um, I've done it. I've done it a couple times, but I've run into issues far more t- Like, probably, I, it's probably not an exaggeration to say probably one out of every three times mm. something bad happens. Mm. Uh, between 15 and 16 was particularly horrible because what would happen is you would upgrade the system and it would just do this thing where you would load it would load the login manager and you type in your password and then it would just go right back to asking for the password again and i could not find a way to fix how it how annoying well it's annoying when it's on your laptop and all of your you know work is there and i can't log in and i'm sitting in front of somebody and they're going well why can't you log in then i have to explain that i don't know why i can't log in and not only can i not log in but i can't even log in to find out why i can't log in so uh here's what they're doing to fed up uh, they say they've come to the conclusion that the current design is unsupportable, mostly due to upgrade.image, which turns out to cause more problems than it solves. So, for Fedora 23, FedUp needs to be redesigned. They're going to download packages for the new system, and then they're going to use SystemD and its offline updates facility to install the packages. 
This is really simple. They say it's going to be a simple enough approach that it probably will be provided by the system packaging tools. They have a proof of concept already up on GitHub, integrated in as a DNF plugin. Mm-hmm. As a DNF plugin. A dandified yum plugin? Yep. Uh, this behavior could be implemented by PackageKit, which would make it easy to write a GUI wrapper for it. So the plan is to drop upgrade.image, move to upgrade support into the system packaging tools, and make it a simpler system. So use the systemd offline update functionality. Bob is indeed your uncle. What do you think of that? Look at, look at systemd being an essential Does, tool to do the updates. Do you think that this is another sign that uh, that the Red Hat group is trying to move – is trying to repurpose and restructure – uh, Fedora to be more streamlined for the workforce rather than just being a testing bed for Red Hat? That's a, yeah, why well, do because, they care? Yeah, why do they why do they care about being, I mean, blowing away a desktop it isn't that big of a deal. I mean, especially if you're using Fedora. Especially if it's for enthusiasts. Yeah, right. So it almost, and you know, they look at the wording. They've changed it to Fedora. Now they call it Fedora Workstation. That alone is interesting. Um the only thing that is missing for me to go every client I work for and say we're done with using this, that, or the other, we're going to switch to Fedora, I have to have an LTS. I have to have yes. I have to have some sort of a locked thing that's there for three or four or five versions um, that is centered around a desktop operating system. And eighteen months just isn't enough. No, it's not. And then the other thing that would be nice, I can live without it, but it would be nice is if they if they could offer support. So I could say pay eight nine hundred dollars per workstation, and you can call this company anytime and they'll help. There are, there are clients that would demand that. Um, so if that would be, that would be nice, but I can live without that. We can do the support. So that's not the end of the world. I mean, that's, that is how I make money, right? I guess um, you could turn it away as a moneymaker, I suppose, yeah. but I'm still not convinced it's going to be a workable solution. Cause the problem honestly is mm-hmm. Fedora releases. And I think 22 is an example of this. In my opinion, take a month before they're good. I think yeah. it takes a month of updates, a month before RPM fusions all cut up to date yeah, for everything I, I need, a month before everything in copper is where I'm at. And so what you really get is... So if you're going to turn this around to a client solution, mm-hmm. so you're going to wait a month before you deploy it to your clients. But I'd wait a month before I right. deploy the next LTS. Of course you would. Yeah. Of course you would. Yeah. But for Fedora, you're going to wait a month. Yeah. Then you're going to schedule it. So it's going to be two to three months before you actually get it installed. Right. And then or what do you more. really have? You have a 15, 14, 16-month support window. Oh, as it is. Yeah, it's yeah. not usable. Even if, even, if I could, even if the day it came out, I could get it installed, I still wouldn't do it. I don't have the time of day, the effort... And I'm not going to tell my clients they have to pay me. You know why we use Linux to begin with? Because right. I can set it up one time yeah. and then I can make my money actually doing useful things. And the customer sees value yeah. because they're not paying me to redo things constantly. If I tell them that uh, – because you can't wait the actual uh, – the, the, the full release. So I would, probably, I would probably up it by one. So if the release cycle is – let's say they release every six months and then the support cycle is 12 months, I would be replacing every six months. Or this is 15, 16, what, would you say? Yeah. So – I'm going to replace the the cycle before that because I want a little bit of I want to give myself a little buffer mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if I could do it the day it came out, it wouldn't be practical. Yeah, Couldn't they do it. They've really they, if they really want workstation, and and it seems to me it'd be so good for so many of their initiatives if more people are using Fedora Workstation. Mm-hmm. The more people that are using Fedora Workstation are going to be writing software for Fedora Cloud. The more people that are deploying yeah. Fedora Cloud, the more people that are going to use Red Hat Enterprise when they step up to the next level. The more people that are buying Red Hat Enterprise sure. are buying huge fatty support contracts that mm-hmm. milks the cow. Mm-hmm. So uh, it. Like, it seems to me like I know at first pass, 
you can't quite see how Fedora, how in doubling down on Fedora and making it a long-term supportable product makes mm-hmm. the money. But mm-hmm. it, to me, it seems pretty clear. You, know, you could put it on a lot of desktops, get a lot. And plus, they're just going to have to compete with other de- distros anyways if they don't do it. And the model has been here for a long time to do stuff like this. So, for example, how many times do you have a, a program that you have the choice between the unstable and the stable? Why can't we do that? Why can't we have Fedora Workstation and Fedora Bleed? And Fedora Bleed is the every time, you yeah. know, every time Ride. a mouse moves. Ride. Yeah, right. Exactly. Ride. Every yeah. time something moves, yeah. we, 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 we put something in there and we see if it works. And then when it crashes and burns, oh, well, at least we have, you know, Fedora Workstation. And then you can move. And then Fedora Workstation, you take all the best of that and turn that into Realm. That becomes a server. That's, and that's essentially what they do, but without the support, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, kind of, except. Not really, because I still see a lot of really DNF, which should not be, you know, well, I mean, actually, it has worked really well. So I guess I can't say that yet. But I feel like there should have been more. I should have had more of a chance to play with DNF before I was in 21. Yeah, yeah, I guess I I guess it was a transition. Actually, actually, DNF was instituted in 18. Oh, Oh, really? I I started playing with it in 21. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to give uh, uh, while we're talking about DNF. I wanted to give Heaven's Revenge a chance to uh, geek out. I know you and Rotten were looking at. Go ahead, Heaven's. All right, DNF is um, an acronym for a SAT solver algorithm, as in a satisfiability solver. It started up in Yum on OpenSUSE to do their dependency management for package dependencies. Yeah. So DNF means disjunctive yeah. normal form. It's just the acronym of what the class combining algorithm is for how they do the salt solving. <laughs> ah, that's geeky. Thank you, sir. Thank I you. Know. That's a good way to end the Fedora discussion right there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I invited uh, Matthew Miller, the uh, Fedora project lead, on the show today, but then we moved the show today. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew, if you were going to make it. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where they're going, fascinated to see what Fedora 23 has in store, and uh, see what they do with the workstation spin. I have a lot of interest in that. I think that's going to be a, a big deal. Uh, just a couple of bits of business. Uh, we'll be back at our regular time slot on Tuesday next week, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that all up in your business. Uh, we're also attempting to uh, raise some more funds for the network, uh, post a Linux Fest and events. We are uh, hoping to get some more support on our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash today. We'll have some uh, interesting developments coming there soon. And uh, when you go over there, there is a video that uh, Noah and I posted. Uh, in fact, if I go to post real quick, I could go. I can go pull this up. No, do you remember we did this? I posted this from my phone. Yeah. Yes. A uh, May Studio update uh, posted for our patrons over. Look at you. Look at your face right there. It looks like I'm calling you out on something. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think you were. I think <laughs> you were <laughs> yeah. So uh, here we were. There I am rocking my HTML5 shirt, and uh, Noah and I are doing an in-studio build uh, where Noah shows us. Uh, here, look at this shot right there. Look at that. You can see the rig we're working on. And uh, we uh, talk to our patrons about that. We do like, like try to do those from time to time for our. Uh, oh, oh, jeez, oh, don't put Rika in the shot. There was almost the beard in the shot. Like, that's for the patrons only. Yeah, yeah. Cannot show that on the main. See page. that right there is worth signing up to be a patron. Yeah, Patreon.com/slash/today. Uh, the money raised there isn't just for the Tech Talk Today show. It is for all of the shows. And Tech Talk Today is the way I thank you for that. And uh, with that, we're gonna we're gonna have some announcements of where that funding is going. But it helps us build a little runway and predictability without having to increase our sponsor load. Patreon.com slash today. Also, last but not least, I'd love to get submissions from the audience for Runs Linux. If you have a cool Runs Linux rig, get some video or audio of it or pictures of it and send it to Linux Action Show at JupiterBroadcasting.com. If it's like a YouTube video, you could upload that S and send us a link. We'd totes appreciate that. And uh, then we'll feature it on an episode of the Linux Action Show. Now, 
We have a lot of really good episodes in the pipeline for the Linux Action Show, so tune in on Sundays as well, 10 a.m. Pacific, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. If you want to make this show better, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, including the feedback thread to share your thoughts on anything we've talked about today. Noah, yes, is sir. there any place you'd like to plug for folks to check out for you throughout the week? Uh, you can head over to AltaSpeed. There you go. And check out what I do during the day. In fact, actually, I think next week on Linux Action Show, you're going to find uh, a slightly different yes. aspect of AltaSpeed that we haven't really talked about before. Yeah, we're going to have a feature on that. Also, check out my new Twitter account. I've changed, but it's still Chris LES. You just have to refollow it, at Chris LES. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week. jbtitles.com jbtitles let's go and a last chance to vote we got the fedora 22 discussion in here we have a lot of topics we talked about today so uh, jbtitles.com and we'll pick that uh, disjoint of normal fedora and do not fedora wow fed up with fed up wow the year of the linux laptop Ooh, that's not bad ubi that's not bad cardboard container catastrophe that's not bad either some good ones dell recommends ubuntu Crappy desktop environment. Ouch, guys. Ouch. What's a a crappy desktop environment? Well, I don't know. Apparently, somebody thinks something's crappy. JBTitles.com. JBTitles.com. What'd you think, Mr. Noah? What'd you think? What are we doing after this? I'm going to do Coda Radio. What are you doing? Really, isn't it what you think of this? What are you doing after this? Uh, Well, Rakai and I are going to cuddle. Oh, nice. And and, and burgers, right? You're going to get burgers. burgers. I have to give him five guys. Because he he gets really crabby if you don't give him five guys. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. For he sure. comes out and he's like, where's my five guys? Yeah, and he hits you. He whips you with his beard. He, that happens. Uh, a disjointive, uh, disjunctive, disjunctive, uh, normal fedora. I, mis- I misspelled it. Can't even. What are you trying to say? It was disjunctive normal form, and I changed it to just disjunctive uh, normal fedora. Cardboard container so, catastrophe and year of the Linux laptop are our top contenders. JBTitles.com. It's a tight vote. It's a tight, 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 tight vote. So, um... You guys, I got a little. I got a little anecdote for you. you. Want to hear an anecdote? I'd love to hear an anecdote. I don't know if you would actually. Oh, okay, because uh, it's going to be a rip on Fedora. Why would I do that, dude? Well, I don't know. We just do not Fedora. Why? Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Why no, would you do that? So, uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of goes like this, you guys. Um, before uh, before Noah came out, Rikai comes into the studio mm-hmm. and he says to me, he says, you know, Noah and I have been talking, like they've been talking offline for a while about what a mess it is in the studio. <laughs> And about and about how they're going to come in here, and you know it's just time for the professionals to come in and clean yeah. up because you know boys, you know Chris, you just haven't been able to figure it yeah, out. So yeah. yeah, the big boys are going to come in, yeah. and we're going to clean up this wiring mess and uh, make sure that all this is cleaned up. So if he has any audio issues, it must be because of that. Well, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I am happy to tell you as I stand here, the wiring mess is now ten times worse. <laughs> oh, okay, ten times worse. So you prefer the buzz. Uh huh. That's what you're saying. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. I your got, audio I got is schooled gone. on my wiring and how it's going to be all cleaned up, and then you guys spent a couple of days in here, and it's ten times worse. Look at that mess right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I, I love you're very good at presenting one side of the story. You're oh, am I? Yeah, yeah, you're very good. Oh. So, so here, so here's the thing. First of all, I the here uh, the cables that I have to work with are the are the spare ones that are in the box huh. because 
you know. This is an interesting which, argument you make, and I like how, it. How so that? your argument is, oh, and this no. is great. Oh, no. The he's, reason, he's about, hold on. Let me tell you what he's about to do, everyone, So just so you can appreciate this, because it's really fun. What he's about to do is make a totally undestroyable argument, <laughs> and he's going to do it in, in such a quick and precise manner that you'd think that he sat up all night and rehearsed this. No, it's Go. just it's, it's obvious. I, oh, just, okay, I right. think it's funny that this is your argument. So uh-huh. your argument is, if I understand yeah. it correctly, yeah, uh-huh. that this would not be such a mess if you didn't have to use just a random assortment of yes, odd cables. That, actually, that is exactly my argument. Right. Okay. So my argument is as such, it wasn't such a mess when I used those same exact cables. Yeah, but I you, have the same cables. Oh, so I use so hold the on same cables. So what you're saying is I don't so, make that mess. So what you're saying is some other owner of Jupiter Broadcasting was in this room and ordered all those cables to begin with when he decided that he was going to move his studio from his house over to the studio here's over the here. Thing. Here's and the thing, though. That, that happened somehow. Somehow, the same amount of computers is in this room that was in this room right. before. Except, but there's way more wires yeah. now. And the, the reason, would, and, and you and the say, reason for that is, say it's because they're an eclectic set of right. wires. Except for I, when it, I use yeah. that set of wires, yes. it was not this you messy. You did, but you also didn't have stereo in and out of the M-Audio, so you weren't feeding stereo to the mumble room. We don't have that's stereo a, return into the Apollo. That's, 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 that's just one thing. That's on, one of the very many things that I've done. Because you're painting a bad picture. Oh, okay. That's a very compelling argument, except for the fact that all of those cables are like three feet long and they're on the other end of the room yes. over there. <laughs> None of this mess yeah, is right, because right, of that yeah, fix. Right, fair enough. But, but, so... To get that, so so we have we have improvement. So it's not the same setup as it was before. That I was destroying that argument independently. But <laughs> now, but the the reason that the the real reason for that cable mess uh-huh. back there, that rat's nest, that yeah. horrible mess, yeah. is because you the, don't the have mess enough that HDMI. You step in the wrong spot, it knocks the PC over, <laughs> that, that which actually happened, happened, happened during the show twice. So <laughs> so the reason for that is is because since we don't have actual H, en- enough HDMI cables to go all the way over here, I can't put the computer where it was before. So it has to go on the floor so that this this godforsaken VGA cable, which I haven't used a VGA cable in probably ten years, <laughs> somehow I, I have to use it because that's the only way that you can see this on here. So the, what we could do if, if if the cable mess bothers you that much is I could go back and put the nook back in. We could go back to a buzz because <laughs> but again the buzz is kind of nice changes the buzz like, it does change the buzz no, the buzz is gone this pc if it wasn't for yeah. that vga cable could be on the other end of the room yeah that's true yeah so what you're saying is i should go to best buy and buy a, a uh what do i need oh you know what actually you know what i don't oh, know no, i'm about to destroy my own argument it's not an hdmi cable that we need it's another hdmi output yeah on the box yeah we do well i could go buy an hdmi splitter <sighs> vga is fun so yeah so yeah so now and now of course noah flies out tomorrow morning <laughs> and leaves me with a mess. Yeah. But that's fine. That's no, fine. No, I, that, that can be. That can be. There's uh-huh. a reason that I plan to. Uh, I plan for longer, just in case I need to. Uh, well, I wonder what a spectrum to... analyzer would look like right there. They say in the chat room, <laughs> it looks like the pit of doom. <laughs> I have a spectrum analyzer. I should have photoshopped this a little bit and added some additional cables. Yeah, and, like, yeah. Dirt should you? Yeah. I, I tell you what, I'll come in here while you're in the middle of uh, Coda Radio. Yeah, there you I can go. zip tie this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. No problem. All right. Speaking of that, we got to go. So let's see where our titles are at. JBTitles.com. JBTitles.com. And I'm refreshing. And our top vote is, ladies and gentlemen, disjunctive normal fedora. Really? I guess you guys like the clever ones, huh? Do you, which do you do you have a preference there, Noah? Uh, mine is still the year of the Linux laptop. Hmm. But that's only because I really like the idea that we're going to have a year of the Linux laptop. What? We've had one every year for the past fifteen years. Yeah. Right. Now that's a Linux desktop. Now we're in the Linux laptop. Catch up. I'm, uh, a le- I'm, well, I'm on a different level. Down. The desktop. Oh, burn. The desktop is a part of the laptop. Oh, oh, is that how that? All right, all right. We'll go with disjunctive normal fedora. That's fine. I like it. I like it enough. We could do it. I think that's pretty good. And I like blaster.